Uh-oh. Howdy. Let me get my headphones on. Quality. Let's see. So, not for part of the recording, but uh, we had a nice meal Saturday. We uh, met to celebrate uh, Alex's birthday, and it was the first time I got to see Tobin since he's uh, he won his election. Oh, I did. Yeah, right. you didn't notice it, or he didn't. You didn't hear that. No. So well, maybe, you know, maybe Mom's not been on Facebook. I the uh, California Teachers Association forced his uh, union to rerun the election because there was uh, somebody uh, complained that the they shut off the election like two hours early and didn't let people finish voting, and he ended up losing by fifteen votes, and so uh, they were the the state. Union forced them to rerun it. They reran the election for the entire week last week, and then it went. They shut it off at 5 p.m. and uh, uh, and when what? the final votes were counted, this time he won by how much? <laughs> 14 votes. Uh, it was so, a close one, no matter yes, what. Yeah, it was. It was going to be close, no matter which way. It's tough to unseat an incumbent. You know, yeah. it just is, and so. Yep. Uh, you know, especially when the incumbent is basically paid and their job is to go around and talk to people in the union. Yeah. So they're, you know, you're full time in a classroom and have to try to squeeze stuff in around that. And they're walking around talking to people, you know, yeah. every day on their lunch break and stuff. And so, vote for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and bringing people, you know, trays of cookies and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. you know, an inherent advantage. Uh, yep. But uh, yep. He, he overcame it. Unfortunately, we were going to have dinner at a place called Vince's Spaghetti, which has been around since the 40s over in uh, Rancho Cucamonga. And yeah. Alex and Alyssa got there early because they don't take reservations. But they got there an hour early to get us a table. And uh, by the time we were supposed to be eating, like it was like 10 minutes before 6 when we were all supposed to arrive. And Elaine and I had just gotten off the freeway and were a few blocks away. We get a call from Alex and he goes, they're telling us it's going to be two hours yet before we get our table. Uh, oh, my. And so we're going to, you know, if you still want to join us, we're going to switch to um, a different restaurant that's, uh, you know, a couple miles away down Foothill. Um, and it was a Mexican food place. And I forget the name of it now, but I, it's been around for a long time, too. And I had been there before years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we went there and, and joined him, and it was nice. It was uh, Tobin and Aaron and Alex and Alyssa and us, and then her grandmother, uncle, dad, and his girlfriend. So there was 11 of us there. Wow. So it was nice. I'm proud. Yeah, yeah. And I, I enjoy getting to spend a little bit of time meeting her parents and her family. Um, yeah. You know, we don't see them often, so it's... Uh, Do you see Alex very often? Um, you know, it's it's in the last year or so since COVID has let up a little bit, we seem to see them... Um, seems about every other month we see him for something. Yeah. So it's nice, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah, mean, I, th- I, I regret being far away from him and them and, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the problem with the distance, you know? Yeah. 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 No. And it's nice because when it's, you know, like a event of some sort, Elaine's or Jensen's close enough that she comes down. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, she gets to see him semi-regularly as well. Yep. And uh, spent time with them. You know, they coordinated a camping trip for the family earlier this year. And so we all went out to um, uh, Lake, was it Silver Lake? 
and uh oh yeah i know where that is yeah you know and we all uh uh it's not too far from the freeway but it's far to get there (laughs) yeah well it was you know i mean it's it's sort of as you're heading up towards uh like victorville or something but it's yeah you just look at a map it looks like it's right beside the freeway almost yeah yeah well i mean it's it's you know it's inland maybe 12 12 15 miles but uh off the freeway but it's it's you know, it was nice. It, we had a, a decent campground, and we all pitched tents and stayed. You know, Elaine came up and stayed till the sun got till it got dark, and then she said, "Okay, I'm I'm driving back home." She doesn't like camping, but Jensen uh, and I stayed and camped, and Tobin and Aaron and Alex and Alyssa camped, and so yeah. we had a good time. Well, that's good. Yeah, I I I'm not sure, but I think I've been there one time, mm-hmm. and it wasn't for any length of time, but just drove over there. Yeah, well, it's something I, apparently Alyssa has done with her family in the past, and so this is the first time they were sort of hosting it for Alex's family, uh, you know, because Tobin and Aaron aren't really campers, and, yeah. you know, Jensen and I have gone camping a couple times, uh, uh, and Katie when she was here, but Elaine doesn't like camping at all, so, you know, we don't, we've never gone family camping, but yeah. uh, but I've gone camping with the girls when they were younger a couple different times, so... Yeah. Yeah. You know, not that I'm I'm a, you know, big time camper or anything, but anyway, uh, I guess I guess Tobin's pretty happy about winning the election, right? Huh? He is. Yeah, yeah, he apparently on the weekend uh well, in fact, he found out about it because the uh the local rep for the California Teachers Association, the state group, um uh and they um I'm sorry, I got distracted. Uh, something popped up on my phone here. They um, called him to say, hey, I'm looking forward to working with you. And uh, and Tobin went, I haven't seen the results yet. And they went, oh, gosh, well, please be surprised when they call you. And then he checked, and they had sent an email. And so, <laughs> so he had the results on an email. Uh, so they didn't even call him because the outgoing president was uh, – you know, she was not very warm towards him. And so, so, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, then he apparently, that's, nice. so that's... go ahead. So, so he's going to have, have some opposition right up front from the leader, huh? Well, she's outgoing. So, I mean, she doesn't have any power anymore. Oh. Although he does have to work with her to like get the, you know, the accounts for the union and stuff switched over to his name so he can control that and, and and passwords to the website and things like that, so you can do that. The uh, right. when I talked to him uh, after after the win, he said he anticipated that he'd probably be in the classroom this week and then he'd transition over to the new job. But uh, apparently, when he talked to his um, principal, uh, he, he over the weekend, uh, I think it was a she. She had said that uh, no, we'll you you know if you can come in on Monday. We'll have a, a a long-term sub for you by Tuesday, and so uh, and so he and I did talk too. We're going to have to coordinate where we can get over there with my truck to load up his classroom and put all that stuff, you know, back at the house or in storage or something. Yeah. So. So anyway, and apparently one of the things he's going to have to do fairly quickly is they used to have a rental space that had a couple offices, a small meeting room, and an, and and a office for the president and a, and a receptionist and the lease ran out on that and the, the owner didn't want to renew it. They want to do something else with the property. And so they had not gotten a new property for them to have offices in. 
So uh, the Maisha, the outgoing president, had just taken a space <laughs> in, a, in an office in a building owned by the school district. And uh, he was fairly adamant that, you know, the union should not be beholding to the school district and that they need to get out of that space and get back into a space that's theirs. So that'll be one of his first tasks is to try to get a space where they can, you know, yeah. have real offices. And the the woman who was the receptionist retired, and so they haven't hired a new person there either, uh, which is just as well because the new space doesn't have room for a receptionist. But uh, But I think it's important to have, and he said it was important to have somebody Who's answer there? The yeah, answer yeah. the phones and can, you know, can uh, is you know there during business hours to to pick up the phone and say, yeah, what do you need? And yeah, absolutely. Sure. You're you're a nothing if you don't have yeah. communication. Yeah, yeah, and that's been one of the complaints about the the outgoing president was that people would call or text or email her, and sometimes a week would go by. Sometimes you'd never hear from her. She just wouldn't respond. And so people were frustrated and they were calling Tobin and he's like, you know, I'm not an elected official for this. I, just, I don't get paid to do this. I have to take my own personal, you know, personal days off to go do things for you. And so, but he was doing that and, yeah. and, and people recognized that and that paid off. So, yeah. So, yep. and well, if uh, I, I didn't, I don't, you know, know the exact numbers, but as I recall, you know, this being a full-time paid position, I think he actually is going to make a, a fair amount more than he was making as a teacher, too. So oh. so it also means more money. Plus, he's doing stuff that he just loves to do. He loves, you know, going out and doing things to help people. So, yep. you know. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I just came upon, uh, in my notebook, I was looking through some file folders, and I came up on something that was... Obviously not very helpful. It said CD pictures, two fourteen, two slash fourteen slash z zero zero d. I don't know what the heck that means. It sounds but, like just a system generated naming <laughs> convention or something. So I, I don't know if the first two means the second month of 2014 or what. Mm. But never, nevertheless, it's a it's a file folder with a file a bunch of files in it. One says Brinker from Louise. Cam camera color, CD family pics resized, mm -hmm. Conrad pictures, family letters, hmm. Tabor pictures. So it's family history stuff that I just somehow stuck it in a folder and, and uh, forgot about it. I've been going over it with mom this morning, so she's yeah. excited about some of these. Yeah, so she well, I appreciate you sharing that, that aerial picture of your family farm. Because, you know, I was there when I was very little, but I don't have a memory of it. Mm -hmm. And then I was there after it was underwater and I walked out and, you know, could feel the foundation of the house. But, um, yeah, uh, well, but yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting to see it. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, who was flying over? Where were they getting a plane to fly over and take pictures from there, you know, or a helicopter or whatever? <laughs> I I don't know if it was official or what, but I think it was that somebody in the county or state uh, farm bureau uh -huh. uh, went around and took pictures of farms and mm -hmm. maybe offered them for sale. I, I don't know how, just mm -hmm. for sure how, but it wasn't just dad's farm mm -hmm. because for some reason uh, I got a hold of one from Joe Dusky, who was one of our neighbors. And I don't, I don't know how that happened. I mean, yeah. the folks, the folks did and therefore I had it. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure where that is now, but anyway, 
uh, it wasn't just our farm take. Oh yeah, no, I didn't assume that it was. I'm just it's just interesting that they that they have this. And I I had kind of thought that perhaps it was something that they did prior to um uh you know as as a means of documenting prior to then creating the lake. And so um you know they could say this is what it was and they could also refer back to like oh yeah, at this spot, you know, if there was a problem later, they could say, "Oh, that is where the building was," you know, or something like that. Yeah. By by the way, Something weird is going on in my computer, and I'm going to have to sort it out. But just before uh, I called you, I saw the, the the farm picture on the on the email I sent to you, mm-hmm. and Text. that was much better picture than the one that I was looking at, which is just uh, you know crazy. I don't I don't yeah. understand it. And I'll tell you what that happened is somehow it got pixelated or the image that I had had looked like it, everything was snow all over the ground. It was all white, too bright. In other words, the contrast was all out of whack. So by sending it to you, somehow it got better. I I don't know. I don't understand. I suspect that's not the case that it actually, you sent it at the, at the quality that it was and that somehow it got diminished in the other image. Now I know for a fact that if you have your 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 uh, photos set up to save to the iCloud to back up to the iCloud, that when you uh-huh. open it, sometimes it won't show it at full resolution. It shows you a low res version oh. of it, and then it redraws it after a minute. And so if you just leave uh. it open for a minute, then it'll then suddenly pop into the right resolution. And I've had that happen to me a lot, especially if I'm scrolling through older photos. That know? probably explains it. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. It's a weird but, sensation and, because you look at a photo and you go like, this photo's crap. What's the deal? And then suddenly it looks good and you're like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you see, I was even zooming in on things. I, you know, I'm interested in the details that can be made out in the picture. Sure. You know, I wanted, in my mind, I was trying to date the picture. Well, number right. one, I, I know for a fact that was before uh, uh, 1950. Uh-huh. Okay. And the reason I know that is that it... Uh, 46 is when we first got electricity on the farm, and it had that. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I, there's I a pole the there. I can, I can see the pole. You can uh, look at the but, trucks that are there, too. Yeah, well, the one truck is what convinced me that it was before 1950, because that's when Dad got this overhead cab. It's a high-cab truck. This right. is an ord- ordinary, regular hood on right. the truck that's parked there. That That's what says it was before 50. That was the first truck we had. Right. Okay. Yeah, it looks was, like there's, there's a like a flatbed stake-sided truck, and yeah. then there's a regular pickup truck over by the um, by the truck. tractor. Yeah, yeah. But that that's by the garage. Uh huh. And anyway, uh, I've picked up a lot of details, but the other really big important thing is out behind the barn, is there used to be uh, there there are two smaller uh, round grain bins that are uh, down closer to the house. But out behind the barn, there used to be two really large bins, and they're not installed yet. Uh-huh. And the other major thing that's out there is you if you look right, you can find the trench silo if you know where to look. But we had it lined shortly after we built it. It was mm-hmm. dug, but uh, all I could see was maybe the bottom was lined because out at the bottom edge of it, where it came out of the hillside, it looked like there was kind of a pla- uh, cement platform there. And that could have been laid out before, uh, you know, after the thing was dug, 
but before the sidewalls got put on. Right. Because that was a, a long, slower process. We had to build right. you know, this frame that you held up and then pour cement behind it, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that then anyway. was replaced by the two larger silos when you had those. But initially, you yeah. used a trench silo. Yep. Interesting. Well, the trench was, was for different kinds of food. The silos uh, out back were grain silos. This was for silage, which for the cows ate right out of the silo. Ah, uh, I see. And uh, that was a unique thing. I don't know if I could describe it, but uh, they couldn't get directly to the silage because it might have fallen down on them and stuff. You had to push it off. Uh, but at least they had a thing like stanchions in the barn that was movable as the silage mm -hmm. worked its way back into the, in the trench. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they would start eating it. And, uh, but, but we found out the downside of the liner. If dad always said, if he ever had that, that to do over, he would have, uh, not put the, the bottom in so that it was watertight. He wanted it, uh, at least the drain part to be where a cow could not get to it. Cause that was like alcohol, you know? Oh, right. The sugar content of that cane stuff. Yeah. And, you could you could kill your cows if they got too much of that. You know, I mean, they'll just drink it. They love it like any humans, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and some people did lose cows that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you really wanted it to drain better. Yeah, you want it to drain, but without them having access to the liquid. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, yeah. and, All right. Well. Anyway, we can get started here. Yeah. Um, you see, I sent. Uh, Something a little before 8 o'clock or a little before 11 o'clock your time about uh, uh, using an idea to use abandoned mines to create gravity batteries. I that thought was, that was tremendous. I really like that, too. And so I think that's that'll be fun to talk about. And then the rest of it was all articles about uh, the new new devices that were um, uh, announced sure. last week. So uh, I figured yeah, we, we could can. talk about those a little bit and and uh, and go from there. So yeah. let me go ahead and hit the go button here. Good day to you all. Welcome to Generation Tech. It, as we record, it is Monday, the 23rd of January, 2023 already. I'm Todd wow. Brinker. How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing great. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. Always good to sit down and chat. Yeah. Um, I've started uh, coaching swimming in the mornings again. I, I'm, I'm coaching high school, and uh, it's morning practice right now, which means that uh, we actually are recording a little bit later than we normally do. But I've been up a lot more, longer than I normally am, so... <laughs> Getting up uh, well before sun sun up to to get to the pool and be ready for swim practice. So, yeah. but it's fun because you get to you know not only are you out there you know up early and and uh, you know as the rooster crows. Not that there's any roosters in Orange County, California, or there are, but they're not around where we're at. But yeah. uh, um, it's fun to watch the sun come up, you know. And so uh, I sometimes will pause practice and take a moment to. Well, how, how just what's your there. morning temperatures then? Uh, today was not bad. It was like 47 when I left. Yesterday in the morning, it was 38. Yeah. So almost a 10-degree swing. Yesterday was a little chilly. Yeah, but, 
uh, you, you got to, you know, the kids probably don't want to jump in the pool. Well, the, the pool's <laughs> Although heated. Although that's the, warm, isn't it? Yeah, that's the pool, right. they keep the pool uh, just around 80 degrees. So, you know, the, they'd much rather be in the pool than standing on the pool deck, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, but we get there, we have to uncover the pool because they've got, you know, like uh, thermal blankets on top of the water. So we have to take those off before they wow. get in in order to keep that heat in the pool. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's chilly. But, hey, I, you know, I went to Green Bay this year. I have winter clothes, so I, I'm comfortable. Ah. I'm comfortable as long yeah, as you but, stay dry. But, but but you didn't have that game like they played yesterday. The True. We, we, we were colder than they were, but we didn't have the snow. <laughs> we didn't have the snow. That's absolutely right. There was some snow and, and ice on the ground, but while we were there, we got some flurries. I take that back. We got some flurries, but not like they got. Yeah. You know, there was a few flurries at the game, but, uh, yeah, the Monday night game that we went to was the Rams and the Packers on the, uh, was it 18th or 19th of, uh, 19th of December. December. Yeah. And, uh, it was like 14 degrees at kickoff. And so would you, would, would you guys gamble on doing that again? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It was, it was, I mean, we kind of knew what we were in for. And so we were, we, we dressed really well for it. Um, it was cold uncomfortably cold the uh two issues that i had was um i had these really good thin slate gloves and walking around before we came into the game just tailgating and stuff we were moving around enough that i actually overheated and my hands got sweaty and then they were damp and then they then they got really really cold so at halftime i actually took those gloves off and i just bought a pair of green bay gloves at one of the um uh one of the uh, vendors there at the stadium and the gloves probably weren't as good as gloves, but they were dry. And I was then comfortable after that. And then the other thing was I had on, uh, uh, some of the warmest boots that you can possibly buy. And my toes still felt like ice cubes. My feet got cold. Uh, you know, and they said, bring, uh, uh, pieces of cardboard to put down to so you, that get some insulation between you and the and the cement stadium. I did yeah. that. The cardboard basically got wet and turned to mush. Uh, wow. It was just cold, you know. But other other than my feet, you know, and I had those little. We had those little uh, like little chemical things that you can you know shake and and when they when you expose them to air they get warm. So yeah. we had those to put in our gloves and our pockets and in our shoes and uh, you know it all helped. None of it solved the problem. It was it was still cold, you know. I mean, it was fourteen degrees. It's cold. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I lived in Pennsylvania and have been in sub-zero temperature before. And you know, when I was younger, we were in Virginia. So you just dress for it and you do your best, you know. And yep. you know, if it's that miserable, there are heated places around the stadium. the 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 main part of the you know, if you go under the bleachers inside the stadium, is not heated. But there are different parts in within there, like each of the bathrooms was heated, so that made life much better. Uh, and then, you know, there were a few different, like, um, stores or bars or something that you could step into that were heated inside there, too. So yeah. so there were places where if you were really cold, you could, you, you know, and you, you needed to warm up, you could go. Uh, but uh, we relied on, on layers of clothes and a nice big bowl of chili at halftime. So, which I'll tell you what, it probably wasn't very good chili, but it was the best chili I've ever had at that moment. <laughs> at that moment, it was the best thing in the world. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I went to go get in line to go to the restroom and Tobin picked the food. And when I came back and he had a bowl of chili there for me, I was like, oh, bless you. You're the best brother ever. So... <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, we have some stuff to talk about. Found a really interesting article. We've talked about in the past that a lot of the um, the green types of creating energy have a major problem in that they are um, they are not persistent. You know, solar's great during the day, but at night, solar doesn't do anything for you. Uh, you know, wind farms are great when the wind's blowing, but when the wind stops blowing, because it doesn't blow constantly anywhere forever, uh, then you don't get any energy. And so, you know, how do you take energy that you're creating or excess energy that you're creating when you are creating it and store it so that you can then use it later? And, you know, and we can have energy when we need it but it's not being generated. And that's a major problem in our grid, you know, almost all the time, you know, with the, with the less, and I'm air quoting here, green methods, you know, burning coal or, or, uh, or nuclear, you know, you can do that day and night and keep power going. But, uh, but, and, and that's why we still have those. I mean, it's, it's those clearly, you know, they work all the time and we don't want to just have power, you know, half a day. And so uh, how do you store energy becomes a question. And we've talked about this before in terms of pumping water up somewhere and then letting the water flow back down as a means of storing. But this idea is pretty cool. What they're suggesting is abandoned mines can be turned into gravity batteries. So if you have these mines that are going down very deep, you can put a bunch of weight on the end of a pulley. Right or a end of a chain or a rope or something, right? And uh, when you've got excess energy being created during the day or when the wind is blowing, you pull that thing up using that energy. And then when you need energy later, you let gravity pull it back down and spin a a generator. Yeah. yeah. And and they said using abandoned mines. And just for an you know idea of how what what that number looks like, five hundred and fifty thousand abandoned and no longer used mines in the United States alone. So we have these very deep holes that we've created already that we could build. And you know, and some say, well, you know, they're not all just straight down. Well, that's fine. They don't have to be straight down. But you can build a, a track, a rail going down the mine, right? Yep. And then. Put a a very, you know, frictionless or very low friction uh, cart with a bunch of weight on it, and in roll fact, it. In fact, in fact, you could use an old railway car. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because because you just want as much weight as you can to crank back up, and then enough that's going to spin a uh, a generator. And quite honestly, you could gear it such that the thing would fall with the gravity would pull it down relatively slowly, and and then through gearing. Uh, spin the generator very fast. Yeah. So, you know, the, the weight doesn't have to drop like a rock falling in order to spin a generator at the speed you want. You know, you, right. get, you get a lot of weight going, pulling down because of gravity, um, and then use a, a series of pretty high grid. Now, that does add some, some uh, friction in the system by putting a transmission of some sort in there. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, you do that, and you can then have the the rail car slowly fall back down to the end of the of the mine over the course of you know 10 or 12 hours and and spin a generator that whole time now, you know? now the now the other thing has to do with the convenience 
of where the mines are located or the disconvenience. You know, most mines you think of as being up somewhere on a mountainside or something like that. At least I do. Uh, because yeah, I've and I have no idea. Yeah, I have no like idea that. where they actually are, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, there's all different kinds of mines, too. Some, some of them might be just wells at one time that went dry, you know, and they don't go very deep. But if you put enough weight, so, you know, you'd have to have a... Uh, some engineering calculations here as to how deep and, and, uh, uh, you know, and if it's on an angle, what, yeah. how much weight you'd have to have to make yeah. sense. You know, yeah. Undoubtedly, kind of they're going to be, um, mines, uh, that are more or less, uh, appropriate for this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Now, I mean, some mining is done, you know, somewhat parallel to the surface. They go down to get something, but then they follow a vein, you know, uh -huh along that, you know, horizontally as opposed to going up and down. That may or may not work for something like this. Um, if you do a search for uh, maps of abandoned mines USA, you'll see that a whole bunch of them are along the Rockies and up into the upper uh, Midwest, uh, Wyoming and the Dakotas. And then there's a whole bunch that look like they are south of the Great Lakes, but they look like they're kind of on the west side of the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, and now the question is, how does that correlate with where you have your sun uh, uh, electric uh, panels and uh, your solar right system? Yeah, how you know how because you lose you lose energy as you transmit it over large distances as well. Right. So, uh, but yeah, you know there should be some fairly easy engineering guidelines as to decide whether or not something is a potential candidate. And right. I, I thought about if I were to work that out, what I would do, but I would basically plot a graph that, that uh, says, you know, there's, uh, mm -hmm. in order to, to calculate how much potential energy you can store has to do with uh, a couple things. One is how much resistance there is, meaning if it's uh, directly vertical, it'd be almost zero other than the pulley, you know. Yeah. Uh, versus on an angle, it's more some resistance. And then it's a matter of how much weight then can you put in the, into this volume uh, based on the size of the hole you've got to drop yeah. it into. You know? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's a fairly simple engineering problem. But uh, right. where these uh, mines exist, uh, it, it probably makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, uh, and as one of the, in, in the article, they point out that mines already have the basic infrastructure and most of them are already connected to the power grid because they had to have power in order to work the mines. Yeah. They, at one time anyway, maybe yeah. after re, reconstituted or something. Yeah. Because they didn't leave any valuable copper wires around. I'm sure somebody stripped mm -hmm. them out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? I mean, it depends on how long it's been there and what you know how things are handled, right? But, yeah. Now, after reading this, I also started thinking that it it was like the article, something that was said in there, almost ruled out uh, using this in cities uh, because you don't have any mines or holes. Usually yeah. Well, unfortunately, you do, well, and that's why there's a bunch of uh, of uh, sinkholes happening in cities because there have been mines right near what probably used to be, you know, outside the city, and then became suburb suburbs, and then became part of the city as as or, you know or, we sprawl but, outwards. But but do they meet the other criteria of being deep enough and that kind right. of thing? Right. 
But one thing occurred to me is that in the cities, I don't know if when they built the buildings, whether they have, uh, you know, uh, concrete and that kind of thing have tremendous uh, uh, support for compression. You know, so if you hung a weights on the outside of a of a skyscraper, you know, or not not necessarily even a skyscraper, but you made some, you know, use the same idea except that it's a weights coming down both sides of the building, so you don't tip it over, you know. And, yeah. Well, the, or if you build a skyscraper, do you think that, that, you know, that the structural engineers and architects could design a skyscraper that has that built in as part of the, you know, design, right? Is So the big weight and yeah, stuff, I don't, you know, the, the weight I, that you I, lift and load could be, could actually help stabilize the skyscraper. Well, I suspect that for really something that you'd call a skyscraper has mm. more to do with what is the ground surface like that you're going to build on, you know. You've got a rock. Uh, yeah, you, have to, you, you want a solid to. granite or solid uh, base in which you can anchor this thing on, right? Yeah, something that can handle a lot of compression. Yeah. And then, of course, the build the sides of the buildings actually de- decrease as you go up, depending on how high you're going. Yeah. So there's so maybe there's no no real possibility of doing that, but it's just something to think about, you know. Yeah. Well, apparently there's already a Swiss company called Energy Vault, and I sent you uh, their video. You can watch it later uh, if you want. But they are already a gravity battery company, and they are selling them. And part of what their pitch is is that from the surface, the the buildings are pleasant to look at, that you could put them in an area where there are people, and they're not going to look like in fact, they'll probably look nicer than they were when there was just a mine there. Of course, the picture they show of the one is out, still out in the Thule's. There's nothing around it. But uh, they've apparently built one that is, uh, you know, out somewhere. And, uh, and so they've got a functioning gravity battery. So it's not just a, a concept, but a working, uh, an actual working, functioning gravity battery. Um you know, and I think that, you know, they've got a link to their website. So it's one of those things we can maybe explore later and talk more about because I've got a lot of questions about like, okay, so, you know, how much energy are you using to, to charge the battery, i.e. lift the weight? How much energy do you get when the battery goes out? I, so what is the loss, you know, between the two? Um, right. uh, you know, how long does it, how long can you produce energy, you know, from a gravity battery? So when they, when you lift the weight up, do you get, you know, does it run for 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 hours? You know, how long does it run? Yep. How much How much energy are you actually storing in there that you can then reuse? And obviously, not only how long, but I mean, you know, th- that's going to be a, uh, a, a function of, you know, how much current are you able to produce? Because we're assuming that these things are... Are, are their output is is electrical so so you know the energy is in the form of electricity so you know uh, how much are you you putting out from that thing you know what can we do with that um, well so all well, kinds first of questions of all, there, there, yeah there, there's there's two things involved if you're going to raise the weights you got to have a motor electric motor and it's right. got a certain efficiency factor sure. and then going the going the other way you're taking uh, and using a generator the motion that turns the generator then gets converted back into uh, electrical power. And so there's an efficiency loss going both both right. ways. 
Yeah, and that's that's that you know that's another way of saying what I was saying, which is you know we've got a lot of questions about what is the efficiency of this thing. You know, how much energy does it take to crank the weight up to the top of the 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 uh, previous mine, and then how much energy is generated when you allow gravity to to pull it back down, and uh, you know what see, is see see the other the the other. Uh, comparable use of potential energy is, is large dams. You're just there instead of a sandbag or whatever you're calling up and right. down, you're, you're moving water around. It. Yeah. You may be able to transport the water more efficiently than you can doing the, uh, you know, conversion. Yeah. Conversions are generally less efficient. Yeah. Well, and the way we work those is, you know, we don't, we don't pump the water back up. So there's no cost of that. We're allowing the gravity to just fill the water behind Right. Usually you're damming up a a pre-existing river and that water then piles up behind the dam and then you let it run through as you need it to generate your power. I, I think uh, I think once before we brought up a fact that somebody was actually pumping water up a hill. Uh, Worthy, I know we've talked about that. I don't remember there being somebody who's actually doing it. I do remember us talking about the sand battery. Remember, we, there's a working sand battery. It's also, I think, in in like uh, one of the Nordic countries that was doing it. I want to say Finland, but I could be. Uh, uh, was that thermal or was that actually potential? Yeah, that was. It was uh, what they they said that it can store eight megawatts, eight megawatt hours of thermal energy when full. And can discharge about 200 kilowatts of power. Um, and uh, it was one of those things that was in uh, Popular Mechanics. And it was available through uh, Apple News because I don't subscribe to Popular Mechanics, but that's where it was. And I think I tried to share it with you, but you didn't have Popular Mechanics and you didn't have Apple News, so you didn't end up reading it. But I thought it was an interesting idea, and I, I just I don't remember the details of that one. But obviously there's, you know, people recognize and lots of people around the world recognize that this is an issue, right? We, we can create power and we can do it, you know, in, in very green ways, but we don't have a good way of storing power. And, and maybe we need to really spend more time and effort doing that. And it looks like there's quite a few people doing that, you know, whether it be through, um, you know, thermal energy in, in sand batteries or through... Uh, you chemical know, energy storing. is a common. Way. Chem chemical energy is what we usually think of when we say the word battery, but it doesn't. You know, that's that's not that's uh, not necessary. Um, that's right. You know, but uh, you know, there's a fair amount of loss of energy with chemical batteries too. You know, the the lithium ion batteries and things like that. So, um, uh, not to mention, you know, dangers of you know if there is something corrupted within the chemical stuff that the the stew. If it mixes the wrong way, it can become very explosive. And so, you know, there's that concern. Um, and the fact that, it, that, that that a lot of chemical batteries are reliant on some uh, some fairly rare uh, metals that, to make them work. And so, you know, the idea of doing a sand battery or a gravity battery makes a lot of sense, especially for um, large amounts of energy to be stored, right? So. Yeah. You know, or the water battery, like we said. I don't. I you know, if we, I I know we've talked about it. I don't remember whether that was just suppositions. I think on your part and and or my part as I joined in, or whether we found an article. But it makes, you know, perfect sense to be able to say, you know, you're going to pump water up a hill, and then then when you need the energy, let the water slide back down the hill and spin a spin a generator. 
to uh, to you know, create. You know, it just it just occurred to me that uh, every day in large buildings, let's say skyscrapers like in New York or something, that there are pipes that are going from the top to the bottom for draining fluids. You know, mm-hmm. now those fluids, you don't want to put too much resistance because you certainly don't want them to stop up. <laughs> right. But but if you had some way to to uh, utilize that uh, yeah, weight. put a little water uh, wheel in between to, and, and generators. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just just as part of your plumbing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, the, and you figure they're pumping water up to the top anyway. You know, for everybody too, for you know, bathrooms on the fifty fourth floor, right? Uh, well, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a necessary thing if you want to have the water up there. But I'm just saying the wastewater right. at that right. at that but, point it's. Yeah, I was going to say, but a fair amount of that water comes back down in one way or the other. So you're right. You know, it's there's a a, a, a fair amount of of uh, potential energy that we're just you this, know this not using. This wouldn't, yeah, this wouldn't work as a as a battery effectively because you don't you're not charging it. You know, it's it's right. being there for other reasons. Yeah, but although you could you, you, you could hold it up at the top and then drop it when you needed it, right? So every time somebody every time somebody flushes a toilet on one of the higher floors, you just take that instead of letting it fall down, you pump it up to a holding tank at the top and then let the holding tank, you know, go in off hours in order to generate right. electricity for the building. Yeah, it's just a you buffer. Know. Yeah. Just put it in a holding tank for a period of time until you need it. You know? Or if, or if okay. even if you don't need fact, the energy, at some point you got to let it go, right? But <laughs> you, you, you could probably light the building at night based on just the water that was pumped up during the day. Yeah, you know, and the, and not have to buy water. Or, yeah, instead you know, of instead of a gravity battery, just... it's a crap battery. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, let's call it a fluid battery. Yeah, yeah, waste battery. Wa- wastewater battery. Yeah, actually, yeah, gravity water. battery probably works better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think but, so. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, it's like I think there's lots of potential ways of doing that. We've never really thought about, at least in the United States, and I know there's been some thought about this, but we've never really thought about like you know moving the generation closer to the use of the 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 energy, right, in a large way, other than like putting solar right. on a house, you know. But in, in a lot of instances, you know, why do we have to have a giant generating plant that then sends battery out to, you know, the miles of area around it? Get it back. Right. right. And, yeah. and when you could, could reduce the, the need for that by putting, you know, more energy close to the place where it's used. And solar is the obvious choice there, uh, but it does have drawbacks. And so, you know, then that means, well, now we've got to talk about maybe smaller scale generation and smaller scale um, uh, storage as opposed to community wide. Maybe it's, it's house wide or street wide, you know? Well, in the 19, in the 1940s, when I was a little kid, they had six volt systems all over the farms in the Midwest. And those were all wind-powered systems that on every farmhouse. And they had the batteries usually in the basement. And uh, it ran uh, lights, uh, and there were switches for that. Now, it wasn't the kind of bright light that we're used to with the 110-volt systems, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, but these but days with I'm... LED, you could get that with much less energy. That's true. That's true. You know, our, so, our yeah. lighting has become much more efficient. 
So, you know, whether somebody would want to consider that today, you know, especially given the fact that they got power lines already out there, you know, to your, yeah. your farm, uh, it's, it's, it'd be tough to try to, you know, reduce that cost because it's so cheap already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, you but know, I th it, some it of the technological advances have made things like that more feasible, though, right? Because of things like LED lights and stuff that you, absolutely. you, you know, we could get a perfectly well-lit house using significantly less energy than we used to. And in fact, a lot of the energy load has been reduced significantly because most of the most of the country in, in our country anyway has has been. I don't think you can even buy, at least in California, I don't think they sell incandescent bulbs anymore, you know, unless they're specialty bulbs for something. Everything is, is LED right. or at the very least uh, compact, um, uh, was it the compact fluorescent that they, they did for a while? That was just a temporary thing, but it's yeah, lost that was, out already. Yeah, it was definitely a, a transition toward, you know, a stepping stone before we got to the, the you know uh, readily available LED brothers. Because I uh, bought a I bought LED a bunch brothers, of those LED bulbs. bulbs. I, I I still have some of those bulbs. <laughs> As they last a long time. That's their main selling yeah. feature. Is unlike incandescents that are incandescents that burn out within you know a month or something. These these uh, uh, neon lights last years. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're anyway. right. They they um, uh, are uh, definitely um, durable. durable and and you know and and use a fraction of the amount of electricity as a a, uh, a traditional light bulb. And so there's a lot of reasons to do it. Although there's some issues with the um, the gases in in the fluorescent bulbs are toxic, and so disposable disposal of the bulbs. When you have to get rid of them is a, is an issue, which is another reason that the um, that you right. see the right. the LEDs taking over. Yep. So anytime and, it's solid uh, yeah. device, why it's less risk. Yeah. Well, and those those LED bulbs are just they're they're phenomenal for the amount of light you get for such little stuff. I mean, it's like anybody who has a little flashlight nowadays. You know, flashlights are are incredible compared to what they used to be. <laughs> flashlights aren't, used to be almost. <laughs> Almost yeah, a waste of time. They're absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The modern yeah. day flashlights uh, are just absolutely amazing. I have one that's kind of, it's a headband. Yeah. And the beauty of that is you don't even have to tie up your hand. You just put it on your head. Yeah. And go out in the dark and it's like daylight. You know? Yeah. I have one that I keep <laughs> in my backpack for camping and for, you know, it's in my emergency kit in case we have an earthquake or something. And uh, and I pull it out to go like when I'm working on the car or sometimes if I'm working on something small and I just need to have it lit but see my eye, you know, have my hands free. Um, and it's it's stunning how bright those things can be. And, you know, well, just I bought tiny. One, I bought one big, because I have a scooter on a lift at the back of my car. And if I'm out at night and I have to put my scooter back on the car, I like to have that headlamp there because I can see what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's a it's a portable flashlight that uh, that I, I gives me hands free little flashlight, you know. Yeah. So it's a lot of benefits. Yeah. Yeah. No, Technology is wonderful. It's um. Yeah, it is. It is. In it's. Fact, in fact, I've been reading lots of articles that are saying that this whole 
business of converting to electric cars only is foolish because we're getting uh, the, the improvement of gas cars is so much now that we're getting nearly 100 miles per gallon for small cars. You know, that's how good they are. Where? Uh, and, and I've very never seen bad. any small cars. I've seen hybrid cars that get, you know, mid-50s. That's the best I've ever seen. Well, I don't know that they're on the market yet. I don't know that. You know, there may be onesies, twosies, but they're, they're really doing some good work on it. Okay. Well, you may be reading so, about something that it, is, but if it's not a real product, then I don't know if I believe it yet because I've not seen that. I mean, if you've well, seen it, that's great. Tell me where it is, because I think that's interesting. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, well, but, you know, it's funny because we talk about that. And in the 90s, in the 90s, I had a Geo Metro that got almost 50 miles a gallon. I got 48 miles to the gallon with the air conditioner blaring, you know, and that was not a hybrid at all. It was a three-cylinder engine. It worked great. It was a terrific little commuter car. And and it proved that crumple zones work because when I got rear-ended, it squished down and I walked away. The well, car was gone. That, but that's basically what—that's basically what they're talking about today, and they're just imp- kept improving those. You know, right? Yeah, and they—they they have cars like that now, and you know, and most of the high-end um, uh, vehicles, you know, they're—they're they're using a a hybrid type of setup, so so that they do have you know uh, some some additional boost but, from a. By the way, system. I also I I also saw a YouTube video where it. It was really just talking about the size of the vehicle. You know, a lot of times people don't really take note of it, but Teslas aren't big cars. You know? Right. I mean, it, it's they're small compared to just my uh, Hyundai, which isn't even a big car. I mean, all, all of well, our cars... Well, realize that they have, they have two small cars and two large cars, and their larger cars are as big or bigger than your Hyundai. Yeah, I mean I've sat well, in, them. I'm, I'm not... but those, but the bigger ones are expensive. They're hundred, you know, seventy-five to hundred thousand dollar cars. They're luxury exactly. cars. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, you got to look at the overall average things. Yeah, and they're only achieving that by having these tinier cars that are afford, sort of affordable, and not really as yet. That's the other big complaint. That's why Tesla re- recently had this big price reduction that got a lot of people upset. Because they just bought a car, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you hate that. But but Tesla, you know, has to stay competitive, and they they were. It just shows you the margin they had. No wonder, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Built I mean, they, billionaire so quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they took a twenty percent drop in their he, prices at he, the at the you know at on a whim. I mean, just to was, say, he, boom. He was he, he was operating with margins as good as Apple, you know. Yeah. In the auto well, business. So. So anyway, his margins are chopped, but he's still making a bundle. Yeah. You know, he he just he just optimizes on the curve. You know, if if I can, he he still probably isn't selling them as cheap as he could, but uh, you know, he wants to keep keep making money while he's doing it. Right. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Oh well, I think too there are a lot of people who are sort of seeing his personality come out as as the owner of of um, Twitter now and they're going I don't want to support that guy mm-hmm. you know I think personally you know I mean and this is just my thing and I'm certainly not telling anybody how to to um, 
uh, invest money, and I don't have any money invested in anything that he does. So there, you know, I have nothing to gain or lose here. Uh, you know, I can understand why people who were investing in his companies, and of course, Twitter he now owns outright, so nobody's investing in that. But they were investing in his companies would have some some concerns because he seems to be. Um, inconsistent in the way he does things. And and so, you know, when you're looking at, at putting money into something, you look at somebody like a Tim Cook, who is, you know, rock solid, consistent. You can trust that next month he's not going to do something or say something that's going to damage his company. Um, and you don't get that warm and fuzzy feeling from, from Elon Musk, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I can understand why there, there's some issues there. Um, well, well, from a stockholder perspective, perspective you always have to look at uh, right you know well and, and the reason i bring that up is because i've listened to some some uh, a variety of other tech podcasts and now granted the people that are, are talking are uh, admittedly fairly um uh liberal and in their in their um political views and musk is not and so that certainly will color stuff but i know at well, least one I, person I, I, who i put him in i put i put him in facebook guy in the same bag they both have harmed their companies because of their personality. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people haven't invested. But what I was going with that is I know several of those people who, who own Teslas and have said that they've sold them or are selling them because they don't trust the company because they don't trust the leadership. You know, and, you know, I. Anytime you invest a good chunk of money, a car is a big expense for, for most people. You know, you've got to say, well. Yep. Am I going to be able to continue to get service and, and be treated the way I want to be treated? And, you know, quite honestly, Tesla is pretty famous for, as a company, people complaining about the service they get from the company. You know, th they like the cars, but if you have any issues with them, um, there's been lots of stories about people trying to get, you know, support or help with the vehicle that and have, have not historically been really great. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was trying to find it, too. There's a, a documentary done by Jonathan Scott, who's one of the two guys that are the Property Brothers on HGTV. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a documentary about trying to put—he uh, he owns a home in Las Vegas, very, very sunny place, right? And so he mm -hmm. wanted to upgrade his home to um, uh, have solar panels on it, to put solar electricity into it. And— he basically documents through the process of this movie how they have passed laws to essentially make it very difficult for you to do that, that you and and, you know, there have been places where like if your your solar panels generate excess electricity that you could sell it back to the grid and and get, you know, d discount it. But they're they're now passing laws, some laws that are like requiring that you be on the grid. Uh, so that you can't put it into a battery system and store it yourself, and uh, you know a lot of well, things that, he, is... that are that, that you would think of like we've talked about as maybe good ideas that they're now creating laws that are making it hard to do that. And he his point is is that the part of that is because the big companies that run the electrics that create our electric systems are lobbying and making big donations to politicians to basically screw up the idea of you and I generating and storing our own electricity. Well, that's that sounds like a liberal interpretation of it. Yeah. Well, and I'm just list. Uh, well, just let me let me answer yeah. here. Uh, the the conservative take on this is that's because government is wants to be in charge and control what you do. Government keeps changing the rules so that uh, they they 
get more and more control and reduce your freedom. In other words, there's a lot of politicians. And, That's essentially and what he people. said. He said that exact same thing. Oh. He's complaining oh, okay. that the the uh, that the large corporations and the gov in, in conjunction with the government, and 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 largely the oh. the corporations are are buying the government's ear because they've got money to do that, and therefore setting laws to make it difficult for you to independently create uh, solar power, solar you know solar powered homes and and storage of your own power that you have to yeah. sell it back that they're not going to pay you back for the amount that you're giving back to them, that you're you know they're just you're required to do this. And it's yeah. like, well, what's the point of me putting out, you know, several, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to set up solar on my house when you're saying, if I do that, I have to give you for free any excess energy that I create. Um, and yeah. and he, he legally tried to fight it, you know, being somebody who's a fairly well-known personality, and uh, and kept running into a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just yeah, I, dead ends. I, I, I kind of follow a solar guy out of San Diego. Yeah. had that same complaint yeah. recently. Well, he said, and, and different he said states or different places are, are different, and he points that out in this documentary. But he said, unfortunately, uh, like uh, a, a huge percentage of the power companies in the United States are owned by one larger holding company. And that company is going around and lobbying to change the rules everywhere. And so if we don't, as, as a society, complain about it, we're going to find that we won't have the rights to be able to go create our own solar energy and store it in our own house. Well, legally. anyway, anyway, <laughs> apparently in San Diego, or I, I took, got the impression it was the state of California, if mm -hmm. you don't, if you don't uh, get your solar in by the 1st of March of 2023, you will not be grandfathered into the old rules. Mm -hmm. And so he was saying, uh, there's a decision point coming for everybody in California. If you, if you really want to go solar, yeah. it will make a big difference long term. Yeah, which is ironic because California has also passed a law not too long ago saying that all new construction has to have solar. Yeah. So if you build a house... You've got to build a house with solar in it, but now they're changing the rules to make that less, less um, uh, of a desirable thing to do as an individual. So yeah, I, it's I don't know. I I don't I don't think the government can should, can do that. Well, you know they can do whatever they want to do until we tell them they're not allowed to do it. Right? They work for us. The problem yeah. is is that they're really really good. They being people in, in politics, they're really good about saying one thing and doing another. And, you know, it takes somebody like a Ralph Nader or a, you know, uh, somebody who's got some, some, some followers already to stand up and say, wait a minute, that's baloney. Just because you're calling it the, you know, uh, freedom of choice act doesn't mean yeah. you're actually, but you're, but you're not letting anybody have any choices. You yeah, know? If, <laughs> anytime something is billed, as having a positive benefit, it's worthy of uh, deep investigation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like what was the, so the, many, the old line: so trust many... but verify. Uh, and now I would say, be skeptical and verify. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure trust but verify works anymore. No, I nobody think... trusts. Nobody trusts government or any, anybody anymore. Yeah, you know, be, be trust ver... in this country has gone yeah. down the tubes. Be very skeptical and verify. <laughs> That's that's probably the the, the right uh, attitude to take with most stuff, especially when the gentlemen from the government, are, you know, show up and say we're here to help you.
Yeah. <laughs> well, Reagan used that back in, when he ran for office. He did, you know, yeah. I forgot how he phrased it, but it was yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, check your wallet when the government shows up and says we're here to help you. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. So let's move on to some fun stuff. Unannounced yeah. announcement. Apple uh, put out a, like, 20-minute video uh, yeah. announcing some new stuff. And I guess they decided it wasn't worthy of a full-on, like, uh, Apple event. Yeah. Uh, because mostly it was, you see the old stuff? We're going to make new stuff that's better than the old stuff, but it's basically old stuff with just some upgrades. That's right. And that's kind of what it boils down to, right? So yeah. they um, first thing they brought out or introduced was a brand new Mac Mini. And in the past, the lineup of the Mac Mini was they had a Mac Mini with an M1. They still were selling a high-end Intel Mac Mini. And this is up until last week. Yeah. And then from there, you went to a Mac Pro or a or a or a, a, a an M1 Pro or an M1 Max based Mac Studio, right? And those that was sort of the line. And so, uh, but they didn't have a no. They had the they had the Max and the Ultra Studio. That was it. The Max yeah. and the Ultra Studio. But there was no desktop based Mac Pro. You could get it in a laptop, but not anywhere else. And they never came out with a Mac Pro right. device for the yep. desktop, for the M1. So now the M2 is out, and you can now get an M2 or an M2 Pro device that's in that's in a Mac One or in a Mac Mini. They've dropped the the Intel one completely, finally. And then you go to the M1 or the M2. Uh, I guess it's still M1 now. M1 Max or M1 Ultra if you go to the studio device. So they now have a clean line of progression of their desktop computers. And uh, and so that's kind of interesting to see. I had kind of thought I might get, because I, I use a Mac Mini as my desktop here, and I have a maxed out 2018 Mac Mini with the, the fastest CPU that they would sell in it, which was the i7, Intel i7, with... Um, uh, I, I bought it with 16 gigabytes of memory, but because you could upgrade the memory in that one, then I went and bought separate memory because it was much, much cheaper and maxed it out to 64 gigabytes of memory. And I think it's got like a two terabyte storage. And that's a maxed out, that's my desktop machine. Yeah, well, um, that's the, the memory is the expensive part of buying these machines anymore. Well, especially if you buy your memory from Apple, because Apple really, yeah, they're well, very proud of their of their memory at the prices and, they sell it. And they're not giving you opportunities to do any upgrades anymore anyway. Yeah, yeah. the memory, in order, part of their speed pickup is the fact that the memory is built into the chip or yeah. on the same die as the chip, and so, uh, or as the CPU. And so, yeah, you, when you buy it, you've got to buy it the way you want it, both the storage and the memory are not upgrade. There's nothing upgradable in this machine, so That's you've right. got you've got to buy what it is you want from from the get go. Um, I well, will say that the the M2 versus the M M2 uh, M2 Pro. Um, not only do you pick up some some CPUs and stuff, you also pick up a couple of extra um, Thunderbolt ports because it has four Thunderbolt ports, and the M the basic M2 only has two Thunderbolt ports. They both have Two, those, those come in the form of USB-C connectors. They both have an HDMI connector and two USB-A connectors and a headphone jack. 
apparently, you know, that's you know, even though they haven't had a headphone jack in the phone for, you know, who knows how long. Um, I don't remember how long. It's been a while since they've had a headphone jack on the phone. Uh, yeah. But uh, they still have it on their computers. So, um, so you pick up a, a couple more things. But it's interesting, too, because now that they've been out, uh, uh, some people – I. I don't even know if they're shipping yet, but there are several people who got pre-release versions, and so they've done some tests. And they're saying that uh, single-core performance from the M1 to the M2 was about an 18% boost. Um, and uh, and the M2 but, Pro single-core is about the same, but when but, you go to multi-core, it's, it's 66% faster than the M2, which was that makes it 189% faster than the M1 because there's more CPUs. So let, let, let me let me say something here, and that is what the uh, Apple computer shopper needs today, and absolutely because you're going to be absolutely dependent on it, is uh, an equivalent to the old Consumer Reports idea, where you have a laboratory that goes through and runs all these checks and compares mm-hmm. for different kinds of users and stuff, and yeah. then says this is the pick and that's the pick because and it's so complex that we can't sit here and tell a real full story about what makes a difference in making yeah well and all this stuff is benchmarks anyway too so in the real world it's going to be different than what it you know it's saying on a benchmark it's just a that's a measuring stick but you know when you're doing something what you do is unique to you and so um but I will say the bottom line is for the average person who works spreadsheets and, and word processors and browses the Internet and checks, you know, Facebook and Twitter or whatever else, you you know, all yeah. of these are overkill. They are so fantastically fast compared to anything else on the market. Uh, yeah. And I do mean anything. You know, I pretty it, much concluded that's why I bought the M1. Yeah. I said the price has dropped enough there that, hey, if I'm ever going to get, a, you know, into that, yeah. that new, new ball game really is a brand new ball game right uh you know right it's time to to move right well and and remember remember too it was uh, a few months ago that they introduced the m2 based um uh macbook air the new macbook air as an m2 as is the new 13 inch macbook pro so then the m1 versions of those became very affordable in the last few months as they were closing them out, because there were still a lot of them to be had, and uh, and they still sell the M1-based MacBook Air, and uh, you know, and so I suspect if there are any M1-based Mac or uh, Apple, you know, Mac Minis out there, those are going to suddenly become very uh, affordable. Interesting to note too was that the basic M2 iMac Mini iMac? They're not called iMacs, just Mac Mini. Um, I'm I'm reading it on a screen here on Mac Daily News, and they they call it an iMac Mini. But anyway, the basic one uh, is got the M2. Other than that, it's identical to the M1 that it's replacing, and it is $100 less. They dropped the price by $100. Mm So so I don't know if the M1s will suddenly be selling for $200 below list in order to get them below I mean, I can't imagine if you had the two sitting next to each other, why you wouldn't buy the newer one. Um, but the newer one is they dropped it to five ninety nine because it was up to six ninety nine. So yeah, uh, it's interesting to see a number of these reviewers are just totally puzzled as to what's going on because uh, it's uh, it doesn't necessarily logical in some of these cases. Really, I thought that it, that they had done a really good job of making it very clear what the um, um, 
you know, they now have a much more uh, consistent lineup that makes perfect sense to me. Well, it depends what you what you include in the mix. Uh, it's obvious that the number of ports and the kind of ports and how they're where they're placed and you know, if you start and look at all of the different factors that should, can go into a person's decision making, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's not an easy sort. It's just not. That's why I think uh, a really good consumer reports type of effort by uh, some reputable outfit. Now, there's right. several guys, individuals out there trying to do this, but it, it's apparent to me that none of them have the resources to go buy all of the various options that you need to compare. Right. Or, well, a fair or, number of these places also get a an evaluation unit, places like 9to5Mac and those guys. You know, they get a an evaluation one. And yeah. so and they do that. They go in, they're the ones who go in and run these geek bench things and get the scores. What the, what I haven't seen is somebody who lays it all out in a nice chart the way that uh, that Consumer Reports has done. So you could just look at it at one glance and compare apples to apples across the board. That, that's right. I, I've looked at, listened to a number of talks, and I finally said, God, this is incredible. There's no way yeah. to sort out yeah. what you really want to know because there's yeah. no nobody running the, sh- the, the steer in the ship to tell the story, you know? Well, I think it's, nobody steering the ship implies that, that things are being done haphazardly. And I think from Apple's perspective, they're filling out the line very nicely. And I tend to agree with that perspective. I think that, that, that the, the, there's a very nice now continuity on desktop and on laptop machines from the beginning to the end. Um, you know, it's it, – Well, there's always going to be a little bit of a, of a chunk in it because like right now – they have not updated the um, the Studio Max, and so they have a Max and an Ultra chip in them, but they're both the M1 series instead of the M2. So you know that then begs the question: How does the the Pro version of the M2 compare to the Max version of the M1? You know, is the Mini now more powerful than the Ultra at certain tasks? And it, yeah, I would probably say probably, you know, but we don't have that. There's nowhere I, I've seen where you can go and just do a one-to-one comparison on that and stuff. And then they start tweaking the pricing, too, which is kind of jaw-dropping. And you say, oh, geez, that really sounds great. But then you got to recalibrate yeah. all yeah. of the... there, There's a certain amount of complexity to the whole thing to say, well, what what fits my needs and what, what works for me? Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, it used to be... I would always tell people, get the, the, the most powerful CPU you could because you could change memory and storage. And mm-hmm. nowadays in the Mac lineup, I would say any of the CPUs is probably more than you need. And if you need more, you know it. You know, if you're doing engineering work or high-end video editing work, then you know you need the, the, the more powerful device, and so go get it. But now I would say... You know, get the memory and storage that you need and take whatever CPU fits the price point that you're willing to go with, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just because those two things can't change. And in fact, probably more so than anything, it's the storage, you know, because the, 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 the storage is so fast now that if you don't have enough actual working memory, it'll do page swaps and it'll do it so quick that that having more memory isn't going to hurt you as much as not having enough storage space on your device for all your stuff. Right. 
which is completely backwards from the way I used to suggest to people how to, to figure out a machine. You know, yeah. now it's like get enough storage space, then <laughs> add memory to do what, you know, if you're running multiple programs, you might want double the base memory. But beyond that, it doesn't yeah. matter which computer you get. You know, do you want a laptop? You want a desktop? <laughs> Those are your options, you know? Yeah. And if you can get a good deal on a laptop, you can use it as a desktop, you know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's anyway, it's, I, I have uh, firmly decided that I like the desktop form factor better than I do the iPad. Okay. Uh huh. You mean uh, the laptop form factor? The laptop form factor. Right. However, uh, I don't, even when I use the iPad apps in here, and I can load iPad apps and run them, uh, I'm not running them in the same way that I did with the iPad because I've got to go through a mouse kind of a choice to make selections and stuff. Right, yeah, you're and using so a pointer instead of instead of just being able to touch it. So, so it's operability, the, the convenience, or I don't know what the right word is, the feel of, of its use just isn't as comfortable. Right, you know? yeah. It's not intuitive because it wasn't designed for that kind of interface. You know? So, and, it, and it would be nice if they would, um, uh, you know, if they would give us a touch interface on a Mac, but they're not, I, they don't, I don't think that's no. happening. Um, no. You know, I think the, um, to me, the ultimate, like, dual-use device is going to end up being the the uh, iPad Pros. They're going to say an iPad Pro because it runs the same processor that's in in these top end machines, you know, yep. the top end Macs runs the same processor. You can get as much memory and storage as you want. So when it's attached to a keyboard and pointing device, then you'll get an option to say tap this and run Mac software. And when it's not attached to that, then that option disappears and you can just you just run iPad software. But if you want to run I, I some Mac, I think that we're, as users, we're all, all dreaming about that. That it hasn't happened in the past five years, and yeah. I think the chances of that ever happening are close to zero. Well, because I think Apple, I think they're Apple getting looks there. at it from a totally different perspective. They say we're going to either hurt the Mac market or we're going to hurt the iPad market, and why not just maintain both? Why not? Yeah. You know. So, yeah. Well, they're getting there. So here's something that's really weird. So the new Mac Mini with the M2 in it, uh -huh. the physical dimensions of the case have changed. Okay? So the old Intel Mac Mini and the M1 Mac Mini were 1.4 inches high and 7.7 .7 by 7.7. .7. Okay? Yeah. The new Mac Mini is 1.41 inches high and 7.75 by 7.75. They are five one-hundredths of an inch wider and deeper. Yep. And I look at that and go, why? Yeah. <laughs> why did they okay. machine it to be five one? I mean, that's not going to be enough to not make it fit in, you know, like there are places that use these things as servers, and it, they'll, you know, they slide them into these, like, um, uh, spaces to hold them vertically, right. you know, they, I, I, five one hundredths of an inch is not going to change that. But why? 
Why would they? Why would they redesign that case and make it five one hundredths of an inch? And you can't tell me because the M two is so much bigger that it's taking up space inside these things. Uh, I saw the teardown on the on the M one when they switched from Intel to the first uh, Apple silicon chip that uh, iFixit did, and the inside of the Mac Mini was mostly filled with air. Yep. The there was nothing. I mean, there was a fan, and there was this this processor board that looked like it could fit inside of a phone well and that was about it there was nothing else in there i i i figured that they could probably put these in an apple tv absolutely you know and and why they didn't make that jump i don't understand i mean they're putting them essentially in an uh, in an ipad and most of the ipad is battery the cpu the the little chip and and the, the little board that has the the right. you know the system on a chip on it is is literally you know like three inches wide by an inch inch you know or three inches long by an inch wide and and maybe you know it's less than a quarter of an inch I mean maybe an inch eighth of an inch thick mm-hmm. you know and so you need something to you know take the heat away. And that's about it. Otherwise, you have to throttle it. So you have some some sort of a you know fan or cooling thing. Yep. Yeah, and it's just it's like really. <laughs> well, that's the that's what that's just the end result. That's easily predictable when you start talking about we're really doing everything on the chip, and the rest of it is just uh, uh, what what does the customer really want? I guess is what you're. They're probably trying to address. People get used to certain sizes, and it, it impacts things you don't think about for individual people. Uh, but I, I am assuming that's the that's the only answer they can give about a lot of this. Because yeah. when if it just comes down to saying how how small can I make it, it it's to the point now. Put it in the smallest box you got, because it doesn't generate any heat. And it's got more power than 99% of the people care about. Uh, you know, what? what uh, the only issue then is how to connect to the external world. And already they've got a lot of things running from, you know, radio uh, devices so that you don't even need the yeah. hardware plug. Uh, so ultimately that's how to, what you got to do when you get small. You don't really yeah. want to plug anything in it so because you don't even want to have to deal with all those Connectors fitting on the side. Yeah. Of well, and but for desktop computers, you still need like, you know, uh, USB connector for like uh, keyboards and mouse, and uh, you know, probably an HDMI to run out to video. Um, but like you were saying, the Apple TV box basically already has an HDMI. Uh, there's room to stick a couple ports on it if you needed Thunderbolt or, or USB. Uh, you know, and if you buy the um, the uh, more expensive of the two, you get an Ethernet port. So they can move it down in size, I think. I know for a fact that there are, like I said, a large number of companies that use Mac minis in server farms. So they use them as servers. And they have a large investment in physical uh, racks for that specific size. And the mini's been that same size for a lot of years. And so I suspect Apple has talked to those people, and they're probably major purchasers of Mac minis. And they have asked them, you know, hey, please don't change that because it then changes our whole, you know, we have to go back and reconfigure server rooms, and it's a major cost to us to change that. Um, 
And so, you know, I can see Apple saying, well, you know, that's fine. We'll keep that box for a while. But at some point, they're going to say, hey, guys, there's a lot of empty space in here. We could really make this thing a lot smaller, um, you know, and we're going to go ahead and do it. You know, and ultimately, that's a win for the server farms as well, because then they can pack things in more densely. Um, but, you know, I can understand them being resistant to that change because it's going to be a major cost change or uh, cost for them when it happens. Yeah. By the way, um, I, before we talk about other devices or, or we can start talking about other the, uh, other stuff, because they did talk about two new laptops, too, two new Mac Pros, the 14 and the 16 inch. Uh, are available now with both the uh, M2 Pro and the M2 Max in those laptops. And so um, the Max is basically the same as the as the M1 Max and then it's double the Pro. And yeah. the Pro was sort of a bump up. It wasn't really double, but it was a bump up from the original just M series. So the Pro is sort of the step up and then the Max is double the Pro. Uh, and that doubles the amount of memory that they're able to support. I think uh, if you get the max version of either the 14 or the 16-inch, you can now get up to 96 gigabytes of RAM. Isn't that uh, incredible? Yeah, and up to 8 terabytes of storage. Can you imagine? You're walking around with a laptop that has yeah. 96 gigabytes of RAM and 8 terabytes of storage. I mean, I can hey. remember when, when you know, Cray supercomputers didn't have that. <laughs> you, know? You, know, you know, thinking about this, and I haven't seen anybody that has really, uh, I'm talking about their competitors, that, that the Intel uh, computers and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen anybody even come close to addressing this whole revolution that started almost two years ago. They're, they're not, I, I just can't see a future for Windows and all of the stuff that depends on that whole architecture. They're never going to take Windows machines and make them run as fast as these new machines. Yeah. Just isn't going to happen. And so I, I, at some point, they, they've got to just, nobody's going to want to buy them. Why would you put your money into something that's 10 times slower for you know, roughly the same cost? I mean, that's, right. that's just where we are. Uh, Apple has just sort of blown the whole industry apart now. And, and each model just makes it even more evident, you know. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on over there, but they're not moving very fast. Yeah. What's yeah, no, you're right. I, it's, it's, I mean, they, they uh, Intel has done a few things to, you know, steal some ideas from, from Apple's uh, design in terms of, of um, uh, you know, high uh, high power and low power processors on the same die yeah. and so you know they've they've accomplished that but you know they i haven't seen anything about them coming out and saying yes we're also going to put the uh the uh memory on the die and pick up you know memory yeah. uh read write stuff that way i mean they're just yeah apple has made some choices that that is choices that are um, difficult both both uh, technically but also um, just logically for Intel, the way Intel looks at things. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. In fact, I, uh, I've always thought AMD, having bought out uh, the uh, uh, graphics company, you know, that wow. they're better positioned to do a sort of combined CPU like Apple is doing. Um, but we'll see. 
we'll see how that all plays out in the PC world. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you? By the way, speaking of technology, did you see the, the article about this guy who uh, wasn't uh, in the display business or anything like that? That has this new TV where all of the electronics are just stripped out of it, and it's paper thin. You can glue it to the wall if you want to. Huh. Stream. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's what they've talked about with OLEDs for a long time, right? The OLEDs, in fact, L, uh, LG came out with that one that was basically a um, like a screen that unrolled. You turned it on and it yeah. unrolled out of a two, out of a box. Yeah. You know, so that well, anyway, basic idea has been around for a while. Now, I, I, the article didn't say anything about being in production, okay? <laughs> so I'm guessing yeah. it's still just a lab thing. But still, I mean, it's just phenomenal what this guy has done by himself, you know, or maybe a couple engineers with him, but he's showing this thing that's blowing the TV industry up. Yeah. Because uh, it's extremely lightweight, too. And, yeah, and, the question oh, is... By, oh, by the way, it runs off batteries. Ah, you well, that's interesting. Well, be inter yeah. you know, it, it, what's really interesting is will it be able to be produced, right? Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the... Is it is it something that... You know, you can have a great idea, but can you make it? Well, this is why this that's mind blowing stuff is why when when I lived in California, you and I used to go up at CES and see mm -hmm. the future. That's yeah. where you find out what's coming yeah. down the road. Well, you know? or Comdex. I think Comdex doesn't oh, exist right. anymore, but Comdex well, was more right. about that kind of stuff even than CES. Con CES they is just... consumer electronics. Comdex yeah. was very specifically about about technology, com technology and computer uh, development and but they kind of merged together. They really I mean. did. I mean, CES encompasses that plus a lot more. You know, like there was never television sets at Comdex. Yeah. You know, but those technologies have kind of blurred anyway. You know, the the monitor technology versus television technology, right? Yeah. But basically, you know, you, you say, well, what, what's the difference between a computer and a TV anymore? It's hard to answer that question. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, just just the emphasis, all I guess, is what you'd say. I, you emphasize the size of the screen versus the processing power. But the processing power that you have in the computer works on the other thing just as well. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, so I saw an interesting article the other day. I don't have a link that I can stick up anywhere for you but there was a company that's using a uh, micro electromechanical systems MEMS to basically create a, a, a solid state device that moves air and they have uh, parts in production and some licensing with manufacturers of course you couldn't talk about who they are but they're going to probably start showing up in laptops and these things are significantly higher efficiency than putting a cooling fan in your device. And it's a chip that is... Um, sits right on top of your hot chip, right? Yeah, sits <laughs> basically right on top of it. Or they use a heat pipe going from the hot chip to this thing so you can make it even thinner because they can now sit next to each other. And, and they said that, you know, it's like it generates air over short distances at like 180 miles an hour air being forced through this thing. Oh. And because it can do that pushing straight down onto the heat, uh, there's a function whereby like the hottest part stays right at the surface of the heat and this speed dissipates that so they can really 
dissipate heat significantly better than a fan. And in fact, so much so that you can actually now put like filter material on the air intake sections so that you can actually clean the air and keep dust out of your computer. Whereas fan systems don't create enough uh, back pressure to allow for filtering in laptops. And so that's why we've had a lot of dust problems with laptops over the years. And uh, so it was very interesting to see this uh, uh, thing go off. The company is called Fror, F-R-O-R-E Systems. And the uh, devices they're calling them are air jet cooling. And, uh, and they have a working system where they have these sort of like vibrating membranes um, that are stimulated at the, you know, uh, micro level, microscopic level that then create pulsating jets of air that go straight down onto a processor and then come out to the side. And, uh, and they're, they've demonstrated that it's, it's, it's a significant improvement over just putting a fan in a laptop and that it uses less energy than, than a fan to do the same, you know, to do better. So um, I have a feeling you're going to start seeing those kind of things. In fact, this is the kind of company I'm looking at going like, I could see Apple just sort of going in and acquiring these guys because that would give you a major advance, you know, advantage over the next guy because it's silent and, uh, and cools I'm, I'm, better. I'm going to... I'm going to abandon you for a minute here. Okay. So, anyway, uh, Fror Systems, yeah, the name needs some work, Fror. Uh, but apparently they've been around for a couple of years now, and they've just started, um, uh, they've just introduced the air jet system as it works. And so, you know, they say it's faster, quieter, thinner, faster. lighter, and dustproof. So, um, kind of cool. I'm, I'm excited to see what that does for laptops and who they'll be working with. It's funny, though, because they show them with laptops, uh, you know, showing tests with laptops that look suspiciously like MacBook Airs. So we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. But uh, And it's funny because they talk about, um, you know, removing watts of heat for how much watts of power. And I don't know how that directly relates to uh, stuff, but they're saying that the uh, that the 1750 of pascals of back pressure is 10 times higher than that of a fan, in allowing uh, some dust dustproof devices because you can filter at only 21 dBA of noise. So, oh, that sounds pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I I found their link, so I will share it with you, and you can read about it because I am. I was very impressed when I when I read this, and you know, uh, I was saying they their their demo systems where they showed a fan based system or a uh, or a passive cooling system versus their system looks suspiciously like they set these up in MacBook Airs. So we'll see. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, they've of course got all all marketing things removed from the laptops, but they they uh, yeah, amazingly they look like Airs. Um, I think that's exciting, and if it's if it does what it says it's going to do, um, you know, whoever, if somebody can lock them into their devices, and not somebody else's, I think that's going to be a significant uh, advantage to them. So yeah, uh, what do you make of the uh, of the new uh, HomePods? Yeah, so there's a, a brand new second gen full size HomePod, and um, it is it's more like a big version of the HomePod Mini than a redo of the old HomePod 
in some ways, in that it's using one of the S chips, which is the chip that's in the watch. Right. And, you know, one of the things people noticed was that it now supports uh, 802.11n as opposed to 802.11ac, which the old one supported. And that's because the old one worked on a phone uh, chip, and the new one works on only the watch chip. And the watch chip only supports N because AC pulls a significantly more amount of current, which in the HomePod wouldn't matter, but in the watch it does. And so that's why it only supports N. But I think but most the, most people... But, but, but on the functional side of things, you actually have fewer microphones, yeah, speakers yeah. To, get, to get the cost out. Right. So they're using an S7 chip, and they've gone to a um, one woofer and five tweeters instead of one woofer and seven tweeters. And I think they're using four speakers instead of six. So, um, you know, my experience is because I have full-size HomePods and I have uh, HomePod minis. The HomePod mini has one one speaker, um, so obviously it doesn't have quite the richness of sound. Um, but it's also got like two or three microphones instead of the the seven microphone array that the the original HomePod had. It works fine. And in fact, if I'm standing equidistant equidistant between the two, the Mini tends to react faster and pick up what I'm saying better. And it doesn't have any problems misunderstanding what I'm saying. So I don't know. I think that the first one was probably over engineered, and they're coming back and saying, you know, we didn't really need all that stuff. So. Well, there, whenever you have digitally processed sound, that introduces delay, no matter what you do. The question yeah. is, can you get that delay down enough? You know, that's why you it's even noticeable in, in your experience, right? Noticeable? Well, what delay are you referring to? You, you said it was a little bit of faster response in the minis than there was in the... Well, yeah, if you have the two speakers standing there and you say, you know, hey, Shlomo, turn on the lights, the one that responds to me very often is the, the mini. And I and my point is is that the, the delay would be roughly the same in either of them. The mini does have a... It's a watch battery, but it's a newer generation watch battery. And... But... but uh, so... So I, that's why I think it's a you know it's a newer generation processor. That's why it's it's more responsive. But as far as the speakers go or the microphones go, the, the Mini has significantly less microphones than the than the original HomePod had, and yet I've never had it misunderstand what I'm saying. So my point was is that the you know by losing a few microphones, I don't think you're going to lose anything. Um, you know, by losing two of the seven tweeters. Um, you know, I, I I suspect that will be hard to hear the difference as well. But, you know, yeah. that remains to be seen. I'm sure there'll be people out there testing, you know, frequency response and all kinds of stuff uh, once they're shipping. So. Yeah. Well, but when you have multiple speakers, in order to get that all to, to work effectively, it's coming. They're, they're coming in as individual uh, signals to the to this processor, this audio processor that's, that's sure. in there. Well, I mean, and, but, but we've had we've had speaker enclosures that are maintain, or, you know, that have multiple drivers in them for for years and years and years. That's nothing new. Yeah, yeah, I know. But when it comes down to actually measuring the performance, uh, the uh, processor has to go faster if you've got more inputs or outputs, or uh, vice versa. You know, it's, it, you can slow it down if you've got fewer. Uh, I mean, not slow it down. You to get equal performance by digital systems, 
you you've got to you know it, it affects sample rates and uh, and then what do you do with that sound how how Right, but I think that they've just got an amplifier going through some standard circuitry to split the signal between their woofer and their tweeters, yeah. right? And the same well, signal is probably going to all of those tweeters, although I take that back. I do know that they, they have talked about both this new, the, the new one and the original one doing some beamforming of the sound. So they are yeah. driving each of the tweeters independently. You are absolutely right. Yeah. But, you know, un unless somebody's figured out a, a way to do this, in what in analog processing, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but there goes your size. Digital gets you, you can do a lot in small space. Right. Analog's not that way. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the thing is like, you know, these, these speakers, I mean, they're like, if you take a paper towel and cut it in half, that's about the size of them. They're that, that diameter and that height. Yeah. So anyway, uh, obviously the reason for, coming out with a new one is to get the price down, but still, uh, have <laughs> keep, a premium quality, yeah, you know, keep the profit up at the price. To, uh, well, you know yeah. what? They're introducing them at two ninety nine, and the original home pod was three forty nine uh, when it was introduced, but fairly quickly the price Apple dropped it to two ninety nine. So they're replacing the old one with something that cost the same price as the old one did. Um, you know, it's, going to have less drivers in it it weighs about a half a pound less apparently the cord is now removable because in the original large one the cord was not supposed to be removed but several people unplugged it and found that you could put it back in with some difficulty but it wasn't oh. designed to be removed and <laughs> and i think part of the reason for that is is that if you have a removable cord in the united states then you have to have it tested for safety by underwriter labs and then you've got to stick there their logo somewhere on your device and Apple's not yeah. real fond of like putting writing and stuff on anything. And so yeah. they thought, well, if we don't put the, if we don't make it a detachable cord, then we don't have to do that. So um, <laughs> at least that's what I was told. I don't, I haven't followed up to see if that's the well, reason why. They probably get some repair work uh, from right. those customers who pulled them out, right? Yeah, probably. So, um, but the, the thing is, is that this is supposed to be, I think shipping this week and that it will require or will ship with uh, the uh, HomePod equivalent of iOS 16.3. And one of the things that they've added to this one that already existed in the Mini, and people had pointed it out in the Mini, but it just had never been used, is the Mini has a temperature and a uh, barometric pressure sensor built into it. And now the large HomePod does as well, because the original HomePod did not have that. And apparently in 16.3, they're going to add some functions to the Home uh, app that will allow you to say when the temperature hits a certain temperature, use that as a trigger to do something. So like, you know, when when the temperature in, in, in the room that the HomePod is in triggers, then turn on the ceiling fan or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I've found some ways to do that because there are some HomeKit compatible uh, devices that are temperature devices, not to mention thermostats. Yeah. Um, and so you could already do that if you kind of like, you know, jump through some hoops. But it'd be nice to have that, you know, officially supported by Apple. Well, it's um, good that it's good that somebody's looking back and saying, how do we integrate the various uh, home products? Yeah, yeah. How do you make yeah. a smart home smart? Right. It's like yeah. 
you know, I don't want to have to say, yo, shlomo, turn on the fan. I can do that. But it would be nice to just say, hey, you know, it's getting warm in here. Have the system know that and say, it's getting warm. Let's turn on the fan. That'll make it more comfortable. We want to keep it in a comfortable state, you know. Or conversely, I have a whole house fan that during the summer I use and I, you know, crack windows open and it pulls in cool air from outside. Well, you know, if at 3 o'clock in the morning it's now cold outside, it may be too cold inside. So it would be nice to be able to say, hey, at a certain temperature, shut off the whole house fan. Because, you know, I don't want to have to wake up because I'm cold and shivering at 3 a.m. and shut the fan off. It'd be nice if it just said, you know, hey, the house is, you know, 55 degrees and, you know, you've got summer blankets and stuff on and you're now cold. So you know, shut, shut the fan off. Speaking of, of cold, uh, I have a, a leg a health issue that I have always I have a leg feet. as well. In fact, I've got a pair. They came that way. no anyway in order to sleep at night i have to use the current product that i have is just a sleeping blanket right and that makes me hot in other parts of my body that i don't need heat (laughs) i would like to buy able to buy electric booties that run off of batteries something Mm -hmm. that so i don't get the board messed in here well i tell you what when i was talking about how cold my feet were when we were in um in uh Green Bay, yeah, they sell electric socks that run off of batteries. I figured I they did. I didn't buy them, and I was wishing I had because that probably would have been the one thing that would have made a difference because my boots were waterproof. Even though I was standing in a puddle, my feet were very dry. They were just cold. Yeah. So, so electric socks might have made the difference. I did have a vest that I wore under my parka that ran off of a battery. And that kept me warm. And so I was actually, you know, very comfortable, my, my torso, uh-huh. with the vest and then the big heavy parka over the top of it. Uh, but, yeah, they sell those. You can find them on Amazon. You ought to look into it and see if uh, – the only thing is is that I don't know how large the battery is for those things and how that's attached, you know, because well, you don't want something – rechargeable, you know. Right. But, I mean, you don't want this big clunky thing – you know that every time you move, they're you're banging your your batteries oh. together with your feet. So yeah. you know, I mean, I just hopefully it's thin and small and unobtrusive, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that would make perfect sense. But anyway, I did want to go back real quickly. I mean, w- w- did, did, did was that all you wanted to say about cold feet? <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done okay. with that. Yeah, I just wanted to finish up with the we talked about the HomePod and what hasn't come is iOS 16.3. And that is um uh due out this week. I don't know if it's available yet. Um you know, it's we'll see. At least the rumor is that the Gold Master has already shipped and that it'll be available, you know, and a lot of people were assuming that it'll be available come Tuesday. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it's available officially. Oh, guess what? I just checked on my phone and it says there's an update available, iOS 16.3. <laughs> so it, hap- it happened while we were talking because I checked yeah. it before we started the show. And yeah. uh, so we'll see. One of the things that it's supposed to do, like I said, was um, uh, obviously they always say some, you know, bug fixes and things like that, but it was supposed to add some functionality and some triggers for um, your HomePods. And once you update your, your phone and or your iPad, 
then you have to update your home devices as well, home pods and uh, and uh, Apple TVs, and because all those run on on flavors of iOS. Uh, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what actually is um, in there. Yeah. So I'm looking, well, and uh, Mac Daily News has yet to say anything about it. So well, I may have know, I may have hit it just perfectly. <laughs> they they basically changed how they deliver uh, software upgrades or the numbering system at least. You know when they came with out with uh, iPad OS 16. Uh, that had a lot of features that didn't have, weren't built into 16. So that, you know, one, two and three now are adding functionality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, it used to be those of were kind upgrades, of, yeah, it seems know? like those used to be mostly bug fixes and, uh, right. and now they've kind of gotten in the habit of, they announce the OS with features A, B and C. And then when they release the first version, it has A, but not B and C. And then when, you yeah. know, version point one comes out, they add A. When version point two comes out, they add B. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, and, and to be honest, I don't mind that. I'm good with that. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. What is in well, this except- one? Uh, according to, to Mac Rumors, new Unity wallpaper honoring black history, because it's Black History Month is starting in February. Security keys for Apple ID allows users to strengthen the security of their account by requiring a physical security key. Um, some people have bought these things, like little Yuba keys or something that you have, and it plugs into, like, your lightning port, or it, it uh, uh, you hold it up to the thing, and the NFC will pick up that it's there. So that that way you not only have to have a password, you have to physically have something with you. What would terrify me is if... I lost that thing. Now lost. I've lost access to my right. stuff. You know, <laughs> I can understand like for some work, if they gave you a work device and they do that, you know? Um, yeah. Well, so, they keep a, keep a key somewhere else too. Right. You know, yeah. You yeah. Have a, master, a master key that can get you in in case you lock yourself out or lose your device or get stolen. Let's see. HomePod uh, support for the HomePod second generation. Um, emergency SOS calls now require holding the side button with the up or down volume button and then releasing in order to prevent inadvertent emergency calls. Uh, fixes an issue in Freeform where drawings, uh, some drawing strokes created with Apple Pencil or your finger may not appear on shared boards. Addresses an issue where wallpaper may appear black on the lock screen. Fixes an issue where horizontal lines may temporarily appear while waking up iPhone 14 Pro Max. Fixes an issue where the home lock screen does not accurately display home app status. Addresses an issue where Siri's, Siri may not respond properly to music requests. Resolves an issue where Siri requests in CarPlay may not be understood correctly. Okay. It doesn't talk about the home app and any changes there other than it references support for the home pod, which does have those two new devices. So it'll be interesting. But it apparently... Oh. Uh, let's see. Home lock screen widget does not display app status. Siri bugs related to music requests and CarPlay. So, hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm installing it as we talk, so we'll see what it does uh, or doesn't yeah. doesn't do. So, um, yeah. You know, I'm. Uh, I still haven't got my 4K Apple TV thing. Uh, oh yeah, gotta, you've been talking about that, but you haven't haven't got one. I, just... I, 
I, I have just not getting as, as much stuff done these days as I used to because mm -hmm. of my disability, but uh, still been thinking about. Okay, things. don't blame your disability for not buying this thing because you know you've got a phone and an iPad oh, I, and a laptop within I, arm's I, reach of you 24 7. So, <laughs> I, I, I know, but, the, but, but priority wise, yeah. I have put, pushed that down because I, I really want to get this antenna for my local stations. Right, uh, yeah, I that next gen TV, TV antenna thing, right? Yeah, Gen 3. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's more significant. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and, and on top of that, I've got some car issues that I got to go get taken care of, too. Yeah. I was, yeah, I've got I a was, car uh, issue that I got to deal with, too. It's uh, my my 24-year-old pickup truck has a 24-year-old uh, air uh what is it called it's the um there's a valve that sits on top of your gas tank that that gets the fumes from the tank and then oh. uh, then collects them and puts it's them sweet. back through the the system so that you burn them so that it doesn't uh they don't there's no evaporative you know gas uh fumes yeah. going out into the into the atmosphere and the valve is apparently failing uh, usually when you get that engine code, it indicates that you've got a bad gas cap and it's not sealing properly. But I replaced the gas cap and then eventually the code came back. And so I cannot get my car to pass smog in California until I can get that code to go away and stay away. And that means uh -oh. now apparently I've got to buy this new valve. On the positive side, I've used the uh, the uh, the training kit for all time called YouTube and found a video of somebody using basically the same year as my vehicle and replacing the valve and it's two bolts and, and a, and you know, a snap and it's right by the battery. So it's not hard to go find in the car or anything. So by rather, the, by the, rather by than the pay way, somebody a fortune in labor to do it, I'm going to do it myself. Any, anyway, I, I, did, I read an article by a Californian complaining about a deal like what similar to what you're talking about, except that, he missed, uh, noticed, didn't notice in one of his earlier notices from the state that he was supposed to, you know, get something done in order mm -hmm. to pass ta the, the test. And they, there was a date and he missed the date. And the cause, as a result of that, he can never get his car registered again. It's a junk, junk car. Holy moly. So you got to be cautious and be careful that, yeah. California's playing games with you because they're trying to get rid of old cars on the road out there, you know. Right. So if, if they say you need to get something done, be sure you don't miss some deadline. Right. Or yeah. you, got, well, you got a piece of junk, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I went and got it smogged in time, and I paid the registration in time. And when they smogged it, it passed all the smog tests, but they couldn't issue the smog certificate because we had had to reset the engine because of this engine code. So they said, well, drive it around. And, and eventually the, the, there's like six, there's seven system checks that the engine does and all of the seven s checks will eventually reset after you've driven it. And they gave me a list and I went and found online a whole list of all these things you can do. Drive it for X amount of time, park it, then drive it a little bit more, then, then stop, then idle, then do, and these wow. are all supposed to get it to finally reset these system checks, right? 
So nothing worked. I wasted $100 in gas one day trying to get them all to reset. And I finally just said, screw it. I'm just going to drive it till it resets of its own accord. A thousand miles later, it finally resets of its own accord, then immediately triggers the engine code again. So that's when I went, okay. So now it's some, something else in this vapor system is not working right. So I did some research, and they said, then it's usually this valve. And, you know, it, like I said, it's a 24-year-old valve, so I guess it's fair that maybe it's not working anymore. But uh, I will replace the valve. It's a $85 part and, and probably a 10-minute replacement job that I'm sure would cost me, you know, three to $400 <laughs> if I took it to a mechanic. Uh, yeah. So I'll do that. Reset the code and go through the process again. Now they did say that if you if you fix the problem, it shouldn't take that many miles to reset to trigger again. It should reset much quicker. So, so hopefully I won't have to drive another thousand miles before I can do it. And so in the meantime, I'm I'm driving around with my all of the paperwork showing that I've paid for all the registration and the smog and everything so that if I do get pulled over because I don't have my sticker on the car I can say well I'm trying I'm done here's what I've done <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> everything I can do but uh you know and then yeah. you just hope that the the cop that does pull you over takes pity on you and says I understand you're stuck you can't do anything until this fixes it you know <laughs> but who knows yeah so yeah. Sounds like you're on the you're on the edge of being a owner of a museum piece. Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> so. You know, I mean, my newest car is uh, what, 14 years old. So <laughs> I'm due. Yeah. I suppose yeah. I've got to replace at least one of them eventually. So. Yeah. Well, let's see. We have anything else to talk about tech-wise? I don't know. Uh, not really. I don't think. Did we get down to the bottom here? Just about. I think so. I mean, just repeated a few things. Talking about the the um, the laptops. Yeah. So. Well, shall we? Shall we call it a day? But I think so. We didn't start. Yeah. After 12, but it's almost two hours. Yep, we've been going a while. We've been at it. Hour and 53 minutes and 38 seconds. (laughs) Unless you want want to listen to me uh, get on with my nostalgia over my farm picture here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, yes. You you looking at nostalgic pictures is great great audio source, right? (laughs) Although I got to say, I enjoyed looking at the farm picture too. That was kind of cool to see a picture of the farm that you grew up on. Um, yeah, we, we did that prior to the show. We were looking at that and, and you found an old aerial picture from the forties of your farm yeah, when you were a kid, which is very the cool. The place where I grew where, where I grew up and I've wandered around every foot of this space. So I know what's supposed to be where and when, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you could <laughs> but it, kind of but identify it. But, it. but it's kind of a rare thing to be able to do this because very right. few people have even a picture of the house that they were in, you know, back right. In the day of when you were five or six years old, you know. Sure. Yeah. And well, and oh. uh, well, I suspect there's probably more people than you think that do. But but you know, unfortunately, too, it's not like you can go back and visit anymore because that particular farm is now underwater because of uh, a dam that had been put in, and so it's now part of a of a um, a lake, basically. That's right. And 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 I I might mention 
a piece of the, at the time, new technology or latest technology, and that is the old water cooler air conditioner that was in the upper window of the house. I you saw that. You can see it on the end of the house. That's that's what that is. That's it was a swamp a cooler? large unit. That was a swamp cooler. And it uh, there was a little drain that went down the side of the house because it gathered mm -hmm. water, uh, 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 pumped water through and then right well, in, in my youth uh, you know i mean we uh, you were in the military we grew up i grew up like third through eighth grade in new mexico we lived in the desert where it was hot and dry so swamp coolers were the way you yeah. cooled things off because it was affordable uh yeah. much cheaper than refrigeration type of air conditioning units and uh well, I, you know and, and the, it was I so dry my, outside I, that you know having humidity in the house was a good thing yeah, I, I I have a younger brother who still lives in Tucson, and and that's his primary uh, air conditioning is I think the swamp cooler. Yeah, I, I think he still uses that, yeah. or maybe he told me he changed it, but I. Yeah, well, evaporative cooler is what they call, but yeah, but um, but yeah, we yeah. call them swamp coolers, and yeah, this one's basically mounted on a window on the second floor of your house, and ours in New Mexico was on the roof. Yeah. Well, the see the the idea was that that window uh, right out inside of that window was the stair steps that goes downstairs. Ah. Stairs. So we left we left the staircase open so that the cool air not only would cool upstairs at night, mm -hmm. uh, we'd close the door at night, but during the day it came out of that door and cooled the entire downstairs. Right. And you controlled where the wind flew uh, went by having a a cracked window somewhere in the extremities of the house so it would be, be brought in by the fan upstairs right and cooled cooled in the process and then it would blow out somewhere usually on the north side of the house where it was shaded yeah uh, i think mom left the, uh, the window cracked above the sink yeah so that kind of guided the air so just looking at this and again this is not great radio but which direction is north, south, east, and west? So we're looking at like the the wall that has the swamp cooler in it is facing which direction? West. That's on the west side of the That's house. That's the west side. Okay. Okay. So north would be the left side then where the where the you sort of see Shaded. the shadow and where the the power pole sits out in front of the house on the north side. Right. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, that was the technology of the day. In fact, the mm -hmm. the interesting thing is as I pointed out when we first looked this is the shadow from that power pole that's just out there uh, because electricity was new to the farm, the, what they called REA, Rural Electrification Association, mm -hmm. uh, where they were bringing uh, 110 volts to the pole next to your farm. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the night that we, the guy came out and cut it over or tied it into the system, and we had outdoor lights, uh, a big light in front of the house in that area, another mm -hmm. one out at our barn and another one over at the garage. And we had all three of them on and we could run around and play out in the dark, just like as it was daytime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Holy moly. There's light out here. Yeah. That was, that was a marvel. It was exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's funny, you know, cause it's like, it wasn't that long ago. Right. That's when well, electricity wasn't something you took for granted. But I have to say I'm 80 years old, so I think it well, was a long well, time ago. Well, you are, but 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 it, but you know, it's within the lifetime of one person. We were still living in a place. There were a lot of people living in in places where they didn't have electricity. Yep. I mean, we talk oh. about you know, you know, not having television. 
you didn't have electricity. Television oh, wouldn't have and, done you any good. Oh, by the way, <laughs> at this time, at this time, we did not have a TV because there was no antenna on the roof. Right. Okay. I'm you. It was a rotating monster antenna, and it would have been evident in this picture. Right. And it's not there. So this was definitely pre-television. Yeah. 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 You maybe had a radio, but. <laughs> oh well, that was the Saturday night uh, entertainment. Dad right. had a easy. Uh, sleeper type chair, you know, laid back. Right. And us kids would be on the floor between him and the radio, uh, his chair and the radio or right adjacent to it, leaning on the wall, listening right. to our Miss Brooks and gangbusters. And I forgot what other shows, yeah. but those were really, uh, uh, that was the family entertainment. Yeah. Listening to radio. Yeah. Uh, in fact, and, and I'm sure the generation before you said, listen to that radio. We used to read books. You guys just, just listen to the radio. It's lazy generation. Yep. <laughs> that's probably what they were saying. Yep. You know, that's the, you know, it's, each generation says, you know, the new technology makes you lazy, right? Yeah. I had it rough. I had to, you know. Insert whatever. I always liked uh, the. I can't remember which comedian. I think I heard it first. But you know, I was like, I had to walk uphill in the snow to school every day, both ways. Well, you <laughs> see, that, that was one thing. That even though we lived two and a half miles from the closest town, but four and a half from the one where we went to school, we never had to walk to school. Even the kids lived in town. They, most of them lived within a few blocks, but people still hauled them around in cars. So we were kind of the first uh, commuter school kids, I yeah. think in that time, uh, because yeah. def definitely my parents, both of them, in fact, my mother rode horse and buggy through a Creek and I saw the Creek with the, uh, with the tire tracks from the buggy yeah. going down into the Creek and coming out of it. It was still there after all the years because she pointed them out to me yeah. that, because the, uh, when, when we went out to visit, because they, those those old buggies had narrow wheels and they, oh, sure. they dug into the uh, ground. And when the, when you get a rain, it actually washed them out even more. So it, it got to the point where that buggy probably came close to being high centered, even though it was a big old wheels on them. Yeah. But, but the, the wheels just dug those tracks right through there. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like a railroad track. You didn't have to steer it at that point. It was nobody going to turn that buggy. And <laughs> yeah, it was, it was riding the groove. Yep, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's fun to look at old pictures like this. And, yeah, and reminisce. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially when it's an old picture that it's like you know something you relate to and you remember, right? Oh you, yeah, you can look at that and go like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I can even look at uh, some of the equipment that you see, you know, sparsely uh, stopped different places out in the back mm -hmm. behind the barn and stuff. Yeah, uh, and 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 tell you what each piece of equipment probably is because I knew how, where each thing was parked, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like they were in random spots. They were put in place so that you could know where to go to get it. Right. Yeah. That's, now, that's where it goes. Yeah. Now the interesting thing about this picture is from diag one uh, top left diagonal to the lower right is probably a half mile. So it's a picture of a pretty good size area. Yeah. So it goes all the way from the highway, which ran in front of the house, although that you can't see that on the picture, but it's yeah. right at that edge or that corner, yeah. uh, clear, clear back past the, uh, the farm yeah. pond. Yeah. Well, you've got you a know? nice line of trees there that act as a windbreak, right? Yep. Yep. They called it so. a shelter belt. 
Yeah. And in fact, you can see all the rows. If you look at the lower left side, mm -hmm. that was the, that was our Christmas tree line. Uh, those were fir trees. And, mm -hmm. uh, then the, we had taller trees in front of those, but those fir trees were best windbreak, you know? Yeah. Down, yeah. Thick and bushy. They, yeah. They, mm -hmm. they were thicker. Yep. So, uh, and I can tell you which trees were mulberry trees and which were elm and, you know, different kinds of yeah. vegetation around there. Yeah. But, Yep, and oh. up at the top there is that a is that a pond with yes, some trees right, lining it? Yes, right uh, right on the other side of that dam that created the pond is there were some uh, uh, cottonwood trees. Mm -hmm. And cottonwood, if you're not familiar with it, uh, when the uh, uh, seeds pods came out, then the wind blow, you have these look like balls of cotton blowing all over the place. Uh, they were just like picked cotton in cotton yeah. country. This was not that kind of cotton. Right. It was obvious I, name I for it. Don't you know? remember. I must have been visiting family or something back in Kansas or the Midwest somewhere, but I've been around when the cottonwood trees are, are, you know, letting the pods go and they're, and they're cottony type of, it wasn't cotton, but it would look like cotton would thus the name, right? Uh, yep. Fluff, yep. basically, <laughs> fluffing around, and I remember being, you know, seeing that and, <laughs> and being impressed because it almost looked like it was snowing as it was coming down from these trees. Uh, yeah, you know. Yep, so, it was, uh, and and you, you know. can see a little bit of that shelter belt in the upper left on the left side. Uh, it it went around; it wasn't straight across behind the barn. It right. covered. It protected the farmhouse and other things from the west, and uh, then clear across the north side. It went uh, northeast a little bit, uh, but mostly it was, you know, we were protected from the windy, cold uh, storms that came in during the wintertime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and if snow was going to blow in and pile up, you'd hope it would pile up against the shelter belt. That's where it piled. Yep. And then there would be less piling up against your house and your your barn yep. and things that you needed to be able to get to, right? Yep, so yep. The, the whole purpose for planting that that row of trees. So my phone just rebooted, so it's now booting up into 16.3. Ah, so, well, I hope you didn't get a brick. Yeah, me too. So we'll, <laughs> we'll obviously we're not going to be able to talk about it today, but I'll share next week how the uh, how that install went and see if there's you know any updates or anything interesting about it that uh, beyond what we already learned. So. So I well, do want to add to, you know, uh, uh, my family, my close family suffered a loss this week. Um, we have uh, a pack of wiener dogs. We had three of them. Uh, the oldest one, Grant, passed away this week. So it was kind of a sad, sad time for us. Yeah, that's understandable. He was a uh, little over 15 years old. We had had him since he was a pup. And uh, yeah, well, that brings back memories back to this farm in front of me. Yeah. We lived on a highway and it was a common thing for people in town when they didn't want a pet, they would drop it off by in front of a farmhouse somewhere. And so we had stray dogs all the time. We never bought a dog, but we must have had a continuing of dogs mm -hmm. through my entire childhood. And the unfortunate thing is they like to chase the trucks that came over the hill that was up to the right uh on the mm -hmm. that came down the highway and you know, we'd yeah. Just, just seems like as soon as you fell in love with a dog, he'd get run over by a truck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you let him run around out and wild, I mean, my little wiener dogs are pretty much house dogs. 
Yeah. Because uh, they're miniature wiener dogs, so they're not even full-size wiener dogs. They're little guys. And, yeah. Well, uh, well, all you had to do to claim a dog was to set food out for them, and they'd never leave. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so that's the kind of pets they were. They We never had house dogs. Right. Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, farm dogs, you know, just like farm cats are there to, to keep the vermin down, right? Right. Uh, yep. You know, so. Yep. Had lots yeah. of cats. Yeah. Yeah. And they often lived out in the barn where they had some protection, you know, in a haystack, mm -hmm. uh, hay bales they could sleep on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And that's a good place for little little uh, critters to go skittering by. So they now here Now, here's... Here, here's a really good memory about this farm. Just north of the house, there are two little buildings, and one of them was the outhouse, as you might expect to, to find on a farm in those days. Mm -hmm. Although that outhouse being there also dates the farm back to when I was a real young kid, because we got uh, after we got electricity, we had water uh, under pressure, uh, and the yeah, water because you could run a pump. <laughs> that's that's right because we and we pumped the water into our system, uh, our cistern I should say, which uh -huh. was a big hole in the ground just north of the house, through a one-inch pipe that went for about three quarters of a mile from our uh, section uh, south of us, where there was an actual well in the ground. So it came a long distance in a one-inch pipe. So it just sort of barely ran out of that. But you'd go down and start this little pump down there and let it go for 24 hours, and and then you could, you could go refuel it and do it again. But it provided more than enough drinking water in that cistern. Mm -hmm. And uh, but anyway, we we finally got running water uh, along with the electricity, and so boy, we thought we were really living. Yeah. Uh, but the other little building out there was the one I was going to talk about first of all because. I have fond memories of when my dad and my uncle would get together and butcher a cow or a hog or something, and they'd hang up the meat to dry in that little building. Mm -hmm. And uh, while it was in there, uh, dad and would uh, we'd go out and stoke some corn cobs with some kind of uh, fluid. I forgot what it was, and light them on. You know, try to keep them on fire, and mm -hmm. they'd just sit there and smoke 24 hours a day. So right. it was a smokehouse. And man, it would smell just wonderful when you yeah. walked out the front door. You'd smell that smoke. So your smokehouse is next to your outhouse. Doesn't that seem a little wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, but uh, yeah. you know, obviously well, yeah. didn't kill you. But well, the sm smokehouse was about twice the size, so you could hang a couple uh, livestock, uh, you know, a cow and a pig in there at the same time, and yeah. they'd make homemade sausage and stuff, and uh, that you know, yep, really wanted to smoke a lot of it. Uh, especially yeah. the ham from a hog. So. Yeah. Well, and the smoking, you know, serves a purpose too. Not only does it make it delicious, I'm sure Deserves it's it. filled with yeah. carcinogens because of the smoke, but uh, but uh, still delicious. But yeah, it preserved it and also, uh, you know, killed off unwanted bacteria and stuff. So, yeah. so the smoking served, you know, it's just like drying meat, making jerky and stuff out of it preserves it. There's, you know, different stages of that process and... Uh, Yep. And the residual is we have bacon today that tastes so good. Uh, of course, if you're uh, well, that's why uh, you when know, I shop Jewish for bacon, or Muslim, then you probably uh, you know don't partake. But that's true. But for when the I rest shop of us, for bacon, the word the big work work for me word for me is not bacon. I'm looking for smoked. Yeah, <laughs> that's I still eat yeah. smoked bacon. Yeah, love it. I uh, I'm particularly fond of Applewood smoked bacon, and there's uh, a brand Wrights uh, Wrights that. Uh, 
does thick-cut applewood smoked bacon. And when yeah. I can find it, that's that's my preference. Um, yeah, yeah. If if well, you this, eat bacon, that's 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 the the good stuff. Well, this this corn cob really worked well. That had a nice corn smell to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's good. a sweetness to it from the corn, and and that's right. you know that makes sense. I mean, especially with pork, you you know it goes well with those sweet things. It goes well with like you know uh, citrus or um, you know. The uh, or apple, you know, apple wood. My uh, one of my favorite rib places used to always use um, uh, apple wood when in making mm-hmm. the uh, in smoking their their food, and I tend to use that too. I buy the apple wood chips and uh, to put with my charcoal if I can. But you know, well, we had every imagine- or fine or you know, yeah, just just west on there, barely visible, maybe one apple tree. Uh, mm-hmm. on that picture. Uh, but we had an orchard that was a pretty good size orchard. So we mm-hmm. had cherry wood and apple wood, and lots of different things, but, but those were raised for the fruit, not for the wood. Right. So, uh, yeah. But you want those kind of varieties in your food. So when you live yeah. on a farm, you either grow it or you, you know, you can buy a little bit or you trade, right? It's like, yep. Hey, we're growing this and our neighbors are growing that. So I'll give you some of mine. If you give me some of yours. Well, you know, uh, uh, on the farm, we, uh, up near the pond, just below it, there was a big, uh, well, it's not shown in this picture. That's, I, I'm puzzled as to what that building that's there look, uh, is because I don't remember it. We had a stock tank that we used as a watering source for a garden that was just right below that. Okay. What uh, building are you talking about? I don't see a building uh, up by the pond. Right centered on the picture. Near the top, but just this side of the pond, down below the dam. Uh huh. You see the dam that runs across there? Yeah, yeah. There's a thing that looks sort of like a, it's got like a white rail along the top of it or something, or is that just a scratch on the? Well, it. it I'm assuming those are buildings of some kind, but they, I don't remember them. Yeah, so I don't. That, that doesn't look like a building to me. I mean, just looking at the other structures that are there. Well, it's not round like the stock tank was. You know? Right. So the, so, I mean, uh, I think part of it's being distorted because that white, I think that that Y shape on its side is a scratch on the picture because there's lots of those in there. I oh, think that's you're just right. a big scratch, that which, then, which then makes it hard to see what the dark thing underneath it is. Uh, and, and the dark thing might be the tank that was there that you're remembering, but it's just I, obscured I, I by that you. scratch. I, I think it is a scratch. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it looks weird because it looks like a Y or like it's a, a railing or something on top of something but i think it's just a scratch i think it's just coincidentally placed there but uh that i think you've explained it yep yeah and then there's some other stuff it looks like another scratch on it if you go directly to the left of that at the sort of across from where the end of the pond is or if you follow the dam all straight to the left there's some stuff piled up there sort of out by it looks like a fence line or something but you can't really tell what that is either you know it's just not sharp enough picture couple white spots that look like scratches. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then, it, then some are. other stuff that looks like it was either some stuff piled up or maybe some farm equipment that was parked out there, but I don't know what that is. You know, it's just hard to, hard to tell. Yeah. You know, anyway, it's, it's funny how, how these old pictures, like parts of the picture are really pretty sharp, you know, like the area down low by where your house is and stuff, you know, and those buildings, those are all pretty sharp, but as you get towards the top, it's pretty fuzzy. 
like the trees and stuff up by the pond, even the edge of the pond. It's all all fuzzy up there. So it's just, you know, that's uh, uh, the peripheral of the image is is the, um, you know, it's the optics of the the lens from the camera that they were using wasn't particularly good on the on the edges. But the center is pretty good. By, by the way, the very best way to identify time in a any kind of photo is is, is some uh, bush. Someone, someone bush writing the date on it? <laughs> a, well, it's a bush that right. is sitting right in front of the house on the highway side, and it's a small bush there because part of what you're seeing is a shadow of the bush. Right. And so these bushes had probably just been planted. By the time I left the, the farm uh, in the uh, after eighth grade or high school, I'm sorry, which is about what, 16 years of school. Yeah. Or eight or 14 years. I, I forget. 12. What is it? Eight, eight and four is 12, 12 years that <laughs> yeah. those bushes were higher than those windows at the top of the window. They were higher than that. Right. So yeah. they would have had a tremendous shadow on the house. So yeah, well, this, you probably wouldn't even see the window, the, that first floor that, window, because one of them is, right. would we be blocking it oh, from when, this angle. Yeah. When, when you looked out, it wasn't right against the house. It was out a little bit, but right. it, it, yeah, but really I'm just saying at, the, at this angle, it would probably be blocking part of that window just from the angle that this shot is taken at. Right. This photo. Yeah. So I've got a question too. Then, um, so if you look like that, that thing that we were saying might have been the uh, the cistern there at the base of the of the dam. If you go kind of diagonally to your right, there's something that's round out there. What is that? Can you see it? Uh. Well, I see two things that might be round. One of them uh, off to the, I, I don't know. Yeah, what I'm saying uh, is is from, from, from that, that Y-shaped scratch, if you go to your right and then oh, to down. The, there, to the right and down. Uh, I don't know what that is. There's a it's, round thing, and it looks like it might be like one of those kind of like metal tanks you'd put out for water for cattle or something. No. But... I'm not sure what that that's, is. But that's, a, that's a really big circle. That is. That's a really big circle. And I'm like, what is that? Uh, some of that might be scratches, but uh, I, I really can't identify what it is. This is a basically uh, unplowed ground that have, had never been disturbed except by livestock. Uh-huh. We used to have a lot of sheep that would keep graze that and keep it right. down. Uh, but uh, so... Other than hooves and whatever, and yeah. that is in that is close to a very uh, used, much used draw. Anytime the pond overflowed, right. Well, uh, and you can see kind that, of along the right side there. There's like a ridge that goes up that looks like it's maybe that's fif- where the overflow fif- was, fifteen or twenty feet high. That you know that yeah that overflow could go there. Yeah, so overflow came around that right edge of the dam and uh-huh. came down and. Uh, and flowed down, and at the at the highway, it went under a bridge. So that mm-hmm. bridge was almost right at the end of the driveway because that angle of the draw, you can see it's uh-huh. coming. So if you got if you got a lot of rain, then that's where the the excess water would go. Yep. There, sort of on the east side of the house and down towards the highway. Yeah. In fact, that was uh, that water would be left standing under the bridge, and so when we had to drink to drive the cows from the south pasture home, man, their udders would be just covered with mud from that area under the bridge because they because all they, had to go through this little narrow 
place, and by the yeah. time their there boobs mashed it up, water and mud, huh? Oh yeah, it was yeah. a mess. You and know, so I, you to... can't see it from here, but it doesn't look like there's a big elevation change from like the driveway and the house. Uh, there's that little tree line, and then down into that where that water would have been. It it was all a, a an uphill slope up to the barn. The, the barn was quite a ways high, higher than the house. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, but and, it also and, it, and, it also kind of went downward to the to the right side of this picture, so that the water stayed over there and didn't come towards the buildings. No, it stayed in a draw. That was down yeah. quite a ways. That right. I would say it was uh, three foot deep from if you're standing in front of the garage, which is up to the above the house. Right. And and that's fairly close to the draw, so that goes down steep. Okay, yeah, and see that you can't see that from here. See, That's what. Yeah. So there is a pretty good drop off, so that so that it would have to be a heck of a flood to come up over that and come oh, back yes. towards the house. However, I will tell you, in 1951, when the river uh, did flood, and uh, there were some friends, family that my dad rescued, that lived down a mile south of us, and the river was another mile further down from there. Mm-hmm. That that 51 flood did come up under that under our bridge and filled this so that it could no longer drain from our that uh, building side of the road. So we had some concern about, you know, how, how much higher it was going to come. It, it could have come to the house. You know, I'd say it got within a three feet of, of uh, actually entering our basement. Wow. So it was a scary time. Yeah. Yeah, well, when that's, you know, people don't get that, but when, you know, when you see these pictures even today of like these, you know, when, when rivers overflow their banks, uh, there's usually a, a long, flat area. And so it's it's a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of land gets put underwater when, when some, sometimes when these rivers really, you know, do oh, their yeah. thing. Because it's got nowhere else to go, so it just spreads out. Well, you know, that flood at, the, at that worst period, uh, ultimately flooded a good part of Kansas City, Kansas. That's why, I mean, it was millions of dollars. People's homes completely devastated down mm-hmm. in the big city. That's why they never could allow this to happen again. And so the Glen Elder Dam, as they called the one that they built uh, just mm-hmm. a little downstream from us, or from this farm, uh, was only one of, I'd say, uh, at least a half dozen uh, big dams that was put up throughout the uh, feeder rivers uh, that got, went into Kansas City. And and that solved the problem, you know. Uh, but today, that lake that they have uh, from that dam that was finally built there in Glen Elder, uh, it backs up the water and into a, a lake they, re- they call Lake Wakanda today. And that's because that flooded a whole area that was a Native American uh, uh historical site called Wakanda Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the entire area got flooded and it's still underwater today. So, and, and it, it, uh, it was high enough that the town where I went to school, which was actually about seven miles West of where the dam is, uh, it has, a, that lake is still right South of Cocker city, Kansas. Uh, and they have dikes around the town to keep it from flooding the south, south part of the town. So it, it's a large, large dam. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's used for recreational purposes, but the primary goal uh, for building it 
was flood control, and it, it, that always takes priority. Uh, all of the water levels are coordinated from by the state uh, to maintain a, a level so that if, you, if you're anticipating wet weather like you guys have been having in California, you know, uh, then they'd have to let water out early before the, the water started landing on the, the ground just to so that they'd get a uniform flow instead of flood levels. Yeah. You know? So anyway, it's a, it's a major uh, aquatic uh, system uh, to control water flow off of large, you know, areas of, uh, of uh, lakes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I live in an area that's very similar right now. The uh, river here in North Carolina is called the Catawba River. And we have about six dams just down that same river, all being water collection points that are uh, controlled as to who can let water out of which dam it, and for how long and how much water. You know, it's measured. And they keep track of that all the time. And, in fact, uh, they even have a, a very nice uh, tour place, a building that explains how all that system works. Uh, by the dam that's closest to us. Anyway, I'm used to living by water. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, at the time that I lived in this place, uh, this farm, there wasn't much water there. There was enough water that uh, we had put in irrigation system for the uh, dam, for the uh, uh, farmland that was riverfront down, you know, where we could pump it out of the river and and uh, have irrigated crops, mm-hmm. and that was a common thing. I mean, uh, even aside the the uh, flood control issue, was uh, farmers out there uh, as fast as they could put in irrigation systems. That's that's how you improved your uh, your yield, because there, there was just wasn't enough water, uh, regular rainfall, in order to uh, raise too many crops. Wheat was about the only crop that really uh, was a big annual producer without being on irrigated land. Uh, but when we, uh, our irrigated crops in our case was grass seed. And that was because my dad made it a specific point to raise uh, really good quality seed that would be planted along interstate highways in the Midwest. So most of the native grasses, and they were native seeds, meaning they were red, right uh, original to that property back historically uh, and uh, so we had two varieties Indian grass and uh, uh, of course I'm drawing a blank now anyway mm-hmm. Bermuda uh, or something like that no no a Fescue. Lot of, no those are <laughs> those are more commercialized types uh, yeah very very much bred for uh, specific purposes, golf courses and, uh, you know, grass yards and whatever uh, is where you find those varieties. Uh, The difference between native grasses and uh, those varieties of grasses is native grasses had this enormous uh, root system that would bind the soil and keep keep it from eroding. And therefore, it would have been there for hundreds or thousands of years because it tapped in a arid area down to where water was 15, 20 feet below ground. Uh, so these plants had, um, you know, it's hard to imagine that 
what you saw on the surface wasn't even close to what that root system was for them. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that's typical of a lot of uh, plants, especially ones that are used to to uh, drier climates, right? You know, desert plants. Right. Usually there's a lot more going on under underground than on top. And, uh, you know, that's, yep. you know, not a surprise. That's that they got to collect and maintain all the water they can. So. Well, I think we've probably we've covered. We've talked a, through it enough lot, already. Lots, lots of different technologies over uh, the history of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we've, we've, chit-chatted overall a whole bunch there and that's good so um we will call it definitely a day. call it a day here and we'll be back again next week thank you all for joining us on on generation tech and farm remembrances <laughs> thank you todd thanks have a dad good week. have a great one we'll see you bye-bye